Welcome everyone to the fourth episode of the Before the Tone Strap podcast. I'm your host, Ben Moorhead. Uh, we just got done recording with George Lindblade. Uh, George is not only one of the most fascinating humans that I've ever met, but I'm pretty confident he will be one of the most fascinating humans I'll ever meet. Um, we had a great talk today, uh, everything from the Sioux City Fire Department, uh, photography, filmography. Uh, you're going to hear names like Sinatra and Kennedy and Fire Chiefs with the Sioux City Fire Department, all in one big conversation. So we hope you guys like it. Take a listen. There's a lot in here. It's a lot of good stuff. Um, so sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy today. Enjoy today's episode. We have uh, we know one of the guys that works that show, and we have personally called him and said, "Are you out of your mind? Do you ha- not have a technical representative on the set that, as a firefighter, knows anything about what you're doing?" They don't. I said, the real story is is more exciting than what you're putting out, mm-hmm. and you know, sure. and it is. It's just like when I go out and shoot a fire. If you ever notice any of the stuff I put up, I don't shoot a lot of the building burning. I'm shooting the guys working because yeah. that's where the story's at. And you can tell it by the expression on their face, the way they handle themselves. That's the story. And uh, over the years, I've found that, <clears throat> believe it or don't, have a lot of your wives, girlfriends, and kids comment on those pictures. And uh, that's, that's where the story is, is how, how you guys address it. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've never been at a fire where the flame is three feet off and it's <laughs> propane. You can tell it's propane. And, uh, but, you know, uh, that's show business and people like it, I guess. So sure. As long as the ratings go up, they don't care. Right. We think, like, uh, when we watch the webcam stuff that comes out, like the helmet cams yes. that they put out, we think that's great, but yeah. you can't see anything 90% no. of the no. time, but mm-hmm. you know what they're doing. Cause right. But that doesn't make for good television. Right? Oh no no, yeah. no 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 no! It's yeah. uh, it's you know it's it's Hollywood. Yeah, it is over over dramatized. You know, backdraft still like it's kind of one of my well, favorite that's movies. Real. But that like, was one of my favorite yeah, documentaries I mean, put out. It was, yeah. That was pretty good. But show. I will say, like as far as actual fire movies with structural structural, I, I think Ladder Forty Nine of all the ones that I've seen, Ladder Forty Nine probably came the closest for I think interactions in the firehouse, and then. It's like the first call when 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 Jack when uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character gets his first fire like after you know and he forgets his helmet and he's yeah. just amped up and just running and yeah. doing all this stuff the and then the officers yeah right. the officers behind right. him telling him guiding him with the hose line he's just you know I said that's that's uh, out of any fire movie that I've ever seen that's probably the most real sequence mm-hmm. I think of anything the, you just uh, that that first fire and you're on the hose line you're just, just yeah the other thing that is badly portrayed is firehouse life mm-hmm. what goes oh. on in the firehouse yeah, it makes oh, us yeah. look like it, a bunch it, of oh. I mean we are kind of degens but you know <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no no I mean it's um, you know there's a lot a of vanity in each firehouse and I've never noticed that either and I've been to a lot of firehouses but um, Again, they're, they're they're giving the people what they expect and what they want to see, and, and you know everybody lives happily ever after. But I think uh, we're more Tacoma FD than Chicago Fire in, <laughs> in the firehouse. Yeah, you know, right. that's I mean, probably really. more accurate. Or, uh, you know, you talk about Ladder Forty Nine. Yeah, they rescue me. I yeah, was, I was like rescue me. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, that was really good. I thought just the rescue me like the interactions between the firefighters correct. and the conversations yes. that they had and like the stuff in the fire. That's that's what I thought. Not so much. What they're doing on the fire ground or the fires themselves, but just that that interaction, those relationships. Some of those shows do a pretty good job of that mm, part sure. of it. But like I said, I th- that's where watching Tacoma FD and some of the conversations and things they have, I'm like, that really happens. <laughs> like that's like that's the most real. Some of the most ridiculous things 
you're like, yep, no, that was last Tuesday. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, the other thing is too is when they're going uh, to a, a, a fire, there's never any traffic on the street. They're never oh, yeah, ne- they never fighting an intersection <laughs> or some old lady that panicked and stops right in front of you or any of that. None of that, you know. But uh, they they should come out here. We'll show them how it's done. There we go. There <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. Are there are there jobs to be a consultant? on shows like this oh yeah well see you know interesting thing about and i can only talk about los angeles because i live there 90 percent of the firefighters belong to the screen actors guild yeah and uh, they actually use them on on a set you know and especially if they're operating equipment because there used to be i don't know how it is today but when i lived out there there was a guy that bought he was a firefighter he would buy all the old equipment and refurbish it, and then he'd rent it back to the movie industry. Mm-hmm. And he was originally from Lamar's, Iowa. That's right. And uh, he, uh, you know, made a fortune off of it. And I was on an airplane with him one day, and I didn't know he was, and he introduced himself. And he says, yep, he says, two months ago, I turned in this badge, and he had his fire department badge, and they picked up this one. This is the one that the phony ones that they use mm-hmm. on the thing. But uh, he made a fortune doing that, and yeah. you know, it, Took some money to buy some of that old equipment, but good investment. Uh, then but you know, when he had a pump operator, the pump operator knew what to do. If you had an aerial guy, knew what to do. It wasn't somebody's imagination. Well, maybe if I do this with it, mm-hmm. don't put the outriggers out. Nobody will ever notice until <laughs> it goes through the roof, you know. <laughs> but um, the uh, uh, they, I, I don't know that they're trying to save money on them anymore because. Uh, uh, sometimes, you know, the shows would cut back on, on this advisor or that guy, but anymore they won't allow it because of OSHA and everything else. You've got to, you know, you got to be really on time. And now with COVID, to do a motion picture now, the average guy thinks there's one, one guy behind the camera. There's six. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's video or if it's film. There's six people standing around that camera. Well, now they all have to be plasticed up and masks and all the rest of it still today and you have to have uh, at least two certified covid techs on your set to make sure that you're wearing your mask and you've had your shots and you're standing six feet away so they're still pretty yeah strict yeah they're really on top of it gotcha today there won't be too much of that we got a got an awesome guest today george lindblade um not a guy in the fire department that doesn't know you now I don't know about Sioux City, um, but you see, you've see, you seen and lived a lot of life, and we're here to talk to you today. Uh, we had a pre-podcast meeting a few weeks ago. We kind of just put a quarter in you and let you start going. <laughs> that's me. And, and that's yep. uh, that's kind of what we'd like to do today. Okay. And so, George, why don't we just, let's just start at the beginning. I can't leave a better place. Well, in the beginning, um, I came from a law, law enforcement family. My grandfather essentially raised my grandparents, raised me in. He was a police captain, so I grew up with it. I can't remember a day that we didn't have some type of a device in the house to tune in on what was going on in the community, so I guess that's why I, I, I am where I am. But um, I was the first cameraman that KTIB had on the air, and uh, I got uh, smitten by it, and I got in the rut, and so here I am at 85 years old still doing it. and. Uh, I've traveled most of the world. I've been in virtually every place, and every place I go, I always wind up at a fire station. Sometimes nobody speaks English, but there is a, a common ground if you've uh, been around enough fire stations that uh, there's a universal language wherever you go, and that includes the Amazon to the 
Barrow, Alaska, to China, to Hong Kong, to you name it, I've been there. And uh, everybody seems to speak firehouse, so mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that out for any firefighters that are traveling. You've always got a brother, no matter where there's a fire station. So other than that, I've chased a lot of fire trucks in a lot of countries, and um, it's all the same. Put the fire out. That's the, the main cause of, the, uh, of you being there. So, um, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. So, if anybody's got questions, <laughs> I'll come up with an answer. I guess, George, uh, maybe what, at what age did you kind of pick up that, that first camera? Because I think growing up, you, you had mentioned before in our meeting and stuff that you lived by Old Station 4. Well, the, I, no, I, no. I uh, no, that was later in life. Okay. I, I actually, I, I grew up where Fire Station One is at three thirteen Ninth Street. Okay. So, uh, but uh, and I first camera I had, I was seven years old, and the first uh, fire was uh, Marty's Shack, which was right around the corner, right across from what's now the Boys Club. At that time, it was uh, an armory. But uh, so Marty Shack caught fire. It was a little beer joint and burnt to the ground. So that was my first uh, uh, time out on a solo job taking pictures of it at seven. Then uh, my next fire was the Unitarian Church that burnt down at 10th and um, Douglas Street. And uh, that was quite interesting because um, even then in those days, the city was resurfacing the streets and they had poured oil on the street, uh, the asphalt oil, and they were concerned that the steeple, the burning steeple, was going to fall in and set Douglas Street on fire. So that made for some good pictures. And then it, it was just, after that, it was just wherever there was a fire and I could get to it, I'd go. But, um, you know, um, things have changed uh, in the fire service, and uh, all, most of them, I would say, is for the best. Uh, especially with uh, the new turnout gear. The old boys used to wear uh, rubber coats and, and um, most of the helmets came from the Navy because when people got out of the military, they gave them a pair of boots and a hat and said, you can go apply for a fire job. And that was the GI Bill, I guess, in those days. <laughs> but um, so uh, anyway, uh, the old days were pretty primitive. Nobody wore any SCBAs because uh, that was, uh, an assault on your manhood if you couldn't go in and uh, uh, the smoke until you couldn't stand up anymore, and then that was you know, that you'd made your 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 uh, self-worth known to the rest of the firefighters that mm -hmm. you could take it. Um, so um, uh, thank God things have changed, yeah. and hopefully they'll keep changing for the better. There's a lot of room for improvement in turnout gear, as we all know, and and breathing apparatus and such as that, but um, nevertheless, uh, y uh, you guys have uh, quite a heritage to, to live up to. Well, thanks to you, we have it basically all documented. I mean, <laughs> you're like the, not only like the city historian, but our fire department's history. I mean, everything we have is because well, of you, basically. Well, we try, and uh, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, like I said, I, the public is always interested. There is not one person that won't be curious if a fire truck goes by, where the fire truck's going. And uh, being out there on the public side of things, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, there's no fire. Why, why is that fire truck out there? Well, uh, they do EMS, they do uh, uh, hazardous material, they do all kinds of things. And sometimes people forget that you guys do do all those things. And I think that reflects too in, in recruiting. 
because an average guy uh, knows nothing about the fire service is reluctant to apply for it because they sit around they say all oh, they all they do is sit around and play cribbage well they did at one time but um, the thing is is that uh, they don't understand you're a teacher you're a medic you're an engineer you're a firefighter and really firefighting is way down the ladder you're doing all these other things too and I, I think uh, that uh, young people knew the expanse of the knowledge and the things that you do there'd be more people interested in doing it plus let's face it you got that day off every once in a while and that helps <laughs> you can always have a side job yeah and we can like do podcasts and stuff and do podcasts and, talk to guys and all like that and learn more <laughs> yeah than we'd ever think so but uh, uh no i think uh uh, it's somewhat underestimated as a career opportunity, and, and uh, anybody that comes across my play. In fact, I, I did have a situation up on uh, 18th Street. Uh, two people I, I knew, one had graduated from Iowa State University, and the other one was headed for medical school at Iowa. It was a girlfriend-boyfriend situation at the time, and they just came up to me and wanted to know what each one of you fellows was doing at this particular fire, and I was explaining it all to them and let it go and forgot about them. And uh, next thing I know, they're in uh, El Paso, Texas. Both of them joined the fire department down there. And then now uh, the two of them moved to the Dallas Fire Department, became captains on the fire department. Wow. And uh, she, uh, his, the guy's wife, uh, uh, contracted cancer and, and passed away, but he's still a captain on the fire oh. department. But, um, and again, I had some parents saying, well, my son would have been a doctor, but you interfered. <laughs> but that's all right. Uh, he, he's enjoying his life, so, but uh, uh, I think that's the big thing is to get that message out that you do more than play cribbage. And, yeah, uh, definitely. So, so you've always been interested in capturing the stories. Um, when you were, you know, younger, we were t we were talking a few weeks ago. You didn't stand on the side and take photos like you used, like you do oh, now. No, no, no. no. You, can you talk about that a little no, bit? No, uh, Ed Porter, uh, who's another person I suggested maybe you want for your podcast. He and I used to uh, we ride in with you, and uh, <clears throat> of course, in those days, people weren't looking over your shoulder like they are now. But we had turnout gear. Uh, the first turnout gear we got was given to us by, um, I think it was uh, John Hill, who was chief. He said, if you're going to do this, you, you got dressed like it, and gave us the turnout gear. But, uh, yeah, we used to go in with them. I got blown out of the front door of the, uh, I think it was a place called, uh, was a restaurant in South Sioux City. I can't even remember where we were in, but uh, when people talk about flashover and stuff, I know mm -hmm. what they're talking about. <laughs> And again, that goes back to, to what I watch on these uh, situation shows now. Uh, when the place blows up, it's not like in the movies. You have chairs and furniture and crap all over that you didn't know when you went in there was in your way, but certainly is in your way when you're getting out. But um, yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a different time, but that's where you got the best pictures. I mean, if you're over the shoulder of the guy on the on the nozzle, you're going to get the best picture. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And uh, but uh, you know, uh, times change, and uh, uh, it, it's it's good the way we do it now. But uh, again, 
uh, every once in a while I get yelled at by some news guy saying, why can you do that and I can't? And I told one the other day, I said, well, you do it for 65 years, you can do it too, you mm-hmm. know. But um, uh, Well, and, and, you know, and George is, if you guys didn't realize, George, Chief presented at one of the award ceremonies and stuff, Chief did present you with the helmet. Oh, you, yeah. are, you are the department's official photographer. Right, I am, So, yeah, yeah George gets a little bit I, more. I don't wear the helmet because it's too heavy, and I, <laughs> it also has a brim on it that you can't take good pictures. It's, you got to have one that doesn't have that on there. But I got a hard head. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, another example of... of uh, being too close is, was the Carroll Apartments fire on, on uh, Jackson Street. And the only reason I didn't get skinned up in that one was I was standing right at the corner of the building when it blew up. And I was in a perfect situation because the front of the building went one way and the side wall went the other way. And um, Gene Ambrosian, who was a reporter for KTIV, when it started to go, it made a puffing sound, and he turned his back to it. Well, unfortunately, uh, uh, his whole entire backside was fragmented with little pieces of glass, uh, which he didn't know until he got back to the newsroom, and he suddenly stood up, and his chair was covered with blood, and the next thing, he was on his way to the hospital. But um, things happen, and uh, under the uh, adrenaline rush of the moment, you forget about it until it's, you know, you start bleeding on the floor. <laughs> then you wonder, well, why, why did they do that? Who's but bleeding all over? <clears throat> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's been a fun time. Uh, I now uh, set a limit for myself. If it's below 30 degrees, I don't go, mm-hmm. unless it's a second alarm, and then I'll go. But um, uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I try to get to all of them. Well, and there's and there's some fires that in incidences we've had that you've been the only one, not just you know one there, but you've been the only one oh, that's, yeah. that's been there, yeah. you know, especially at, at night that you've been you know the only one to come to show up and it's, right. it's a document some of these things and take some of these pictures well, and stuff. And, and if had you not been there to do that, there's there's I think it's some of the times some of the things that we go to, it's almost like we're we're special oper special operations like in the military because we go in the middle of the night right. and you know just the incident that we deal with and if nobody came out so if you didn't come out if the news media or anybody nobody knows we are there and then we dis- disappear back to the firehouse and the next day people show up and they're like yeah like nothing happened so right. it's you know it's it's nice when we see um somebody out there you know because because that shows not only does it document it for us for for some instances that we could go look back later but it it shows the um, it shows the public the things that we we do when they don't see what we're doing, you know. Well, you know I, that brings me back to another subject. Is <clears throat> you know in, in Los Angeles now, and I can only again I compare it to that. Uh, all the engines have paramedic written on the side of it, and uh, I think that's a good idea. I sh- I think they should carry more insignia on it so that people maybe get an idea that you're doing do going to do more than put out a fire or, you know, clean up gas and uh, or, uh, antifreeze off of an accident. Um, uh, you, 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 if you don't tell the public what you're doing, the public's not going to find out. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, a lot of things, uh, you know, like I was, uh, I talked for years about carrying the Local 7 sticker on the front of the rig too. 
I think it's important. I think it's first the the people need to know your professional organization, your professional firefighters, and uh, just as professional as the doctor, or the dentist, or the lawyer down the street. Uh, you, you dedicate your life to this stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, if you don't think it, talk to the retirees. They still have every fire that they've ever been to, and um, you most professions don't do that. I mean, you know, it, it's a way of life. Your family's part of that way of life. Your neighbors are part of that, your way of life because they know the fireman that lives next door. I can go always get him, he'll help. And, um, I, you know, it's something to be proud of. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the one of the best lines from any movie was from, from Backtracks with Donald Sutherland when he said, uh, you know, the funny thing about firemen is night or day they're always firemen. And that's I think right. that's, that carries the truth, not just for right. us and our like way of life and stuff, but that that carries it for your neighbor. Like that's how you that's how you recognize it. People know you're a firefighter. That's how you're recognized, Absolutely. no matter no matter what. And that's yeah. something you know, as professionals and stuff, that we do have to um, kind of carry that, but but be cognizant of that all the times and you know our behavior off the job and stuff. And I and some people might say, well, this is on the job, off the job, but you will be recognized as Sioux City firefighter Devin Shipper for the rest of your life. You know that's that's it. I mean, you exactly. are you know, I mean, you are a firefighter, and you know, so it's. it's I, I can't thing. remember the guy's name uh, from the New York Fire Department. that's an actor now, and uh, he went back when the twin towers went down, and, and oh, that's Steve Buscemi. Yeah, put yeah. on his gear and went back to work. Yeah. You know how mm -hmm. many people would do that? I mean, it takes a special breed of cat, and uh, um, uh, but you have that. You you know the, the old guys. I, I think it'd be. A, threw them a pair of gloves and a coat, they'd jump right in there too if they could. Even if they couldn't, they'd try it. You know? So, but, yeah. uh, uh, and there's not too many professions like that. No. You can find a retired carpenter and throw him a hammer and he'll throw it back at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I see a bunch of dentists hanging out, like no, just checking no, each other's yet. teeth. Just, uh, well, we pulled a tooth there on 22nd Street a couple <laughs> years ago. Talking yep. about that, you know, um, when I lived out there, uh, we had our, our brush fires and forest fires and whatever you call it. And I used to go up to um, the uh, airport at uh, Hemet, California. That's where a lot of the, they called them Borate bombers then flew out of. Most of those guys that were flowing, flying the Borate bombers were doctors and were dentists and were lawyers that had been in the military and kept up their their licenses, and if a fire call came, they went and flew, flew Borate bombers and loved it. I mean, they were like kamikaze pilots. You know? wow. And uh, sometimes uh, we'd go up there and, and, uh, and film them, uh, it was film in those days, loading the bombers and going out, and sometimes they wouldn't dump the load. Well, if you don't dump it, you gotta get rid of it. You can't land the aircraft with that much weight on it. And so they would go out and all, every one of them, at the end of the runway, would do some stunt. He'd do some roll around <laughs> or something to show that he was large and in charge and then dump his load out at the end. But um, I always, uh, I, I said to a couple of them, I said, you mean you walk out of your dental practice? Oh, hell yes, yeah, <laughs> anytime. He says, you know, it, 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 if the call came out, they were there and fly, and they do on their own airplanes, you know. But, yeah, there's a special breed of cat out yeah. there. Yeah. So, George, you said, is it 65 years you said you've been doing this? Yeah, at least. At least. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. A couple. Uh, 
if you know there's other people that come to our fires we have the news uh Siouxland scanners another one that oh yeah you know, he's always there um any advice to some of these people or maybe people in the future on how, oh. to, how to develop relationships <laughs> i have a lot and, of uh, you know maybe you know yeah developing those relationships to you know like, like how do you do this but i can't do it so maybe you know one day yeah i yeah achieve a fraction of george limbley's status well number one uh i never park anywhere near the fire scene i always park a block away uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't want to get hemmed in by a bunch of fire hose. And number two, I want to stay out of the way. That's the other thing, learn to stay out of the way. And uh, you only learn that, I think, the hard way. But <laughs> stay out of the way. If you get knocked on your butt by a hose or you trip over something, that's your fault. It's not their fault. You're on their territory. Um, and know what to look for. Watch the smoke. Watch what's happening. Listen to the building. The buildings make noise. And you guys are probably not even aware of it. You will be if you do it long enough. They always, they always let out noise. You know what's going on. And you have to think ahead of it. And just because everybody's standing in front, there's a back door, something might be happening back there, go check. You know? Um, it's just, it's getting a feel. It's like, um, I always say it's like being part of a stage play. This is a big play that's going on. This is a big scenario. How do you fit into it? Well, you don't fit into it. You're an observer. You're the bug on the wall. You, you're there, but you're not there. And a lot of people say, well, you weren't there, were you? And I, yeah, I was there. I was standing right next to you. But that's it. You're not part of it. You're recording it, and you got to keep that in mind. I don't care what you do. If you go to a political meeting and you're shooting it, you're not part of it. You're there to record it for somebody that can't be there that can't see it. And so keep that in mind. And not everybody knows what you know about it, so you have to tell them what, through visually, through, through the camera, what they're supposed to be seeing mm -hmm. or what they should be seeing. You can talk about that a little more, you know. A lot of people might see some of your photos or videos and they see guys standing out front. It doesn't mean they're not doing anything. That's right. They're constantly observing and stuff like you right. said, because having those sets of eyes is huge, especially even through your, well, your lens yeah, that's, to show people that. That's the whole thing. It, it's a, it's a, you can't put it out unless you see it. And so you gotta, you got to have that time. And the other people... Most people don't realize how much that equipment you wear weighs and what that does to you physically. Now, I've got a son-in-law that's a firefighter in Riverside County, and he put a thermocoupler in his gear one time, and the, the heat that builds up just from the, your body and, and your exertion and all is tremendous. And with the new uh, turnout gear, you can't get rid of that sweat. You can't get rid of that, and it's it's that's part of it that's weighing on you. Yeah. Uh, it's the same way with policemen. They wear so much junk anymore. How can they possibly chase anybody when they're carrying <laughs> 45, 50 pounds of stuff and trying to jump a fence? It's ridiculous. Yeah. They need bearers to carry that crap. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, the same way with the SBCBAs, they've got to come up with a better way of doing it than they have. Those tanks are just too big. I mean, they're too bulky. And I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do know there's supposedly research going on to make stuff smaller. But um, 
I I remember one time they bought a couple deal. In fact, they're out there at fours, uh, a couple uh, rebreather type uh -huh. things that they were going to try, and they didn't work out so well. But uh, there's there's a lot of room for improvement all the way around. But there's one thing about firemen: you, the average person never never criticizes firemen. It's not like being a policeman. Policemen, they they catch it for sure. everything. But the firemen, they always uh, you know the the thing is. The danger I see anymore, and I've said this publicly, is your uniforms look too much like police. And the police are, in 80% of the communities, they're the enemy. And so when you go through the door, they don't know if you're a policeman or a firefighter and you're liable to get shot because, you know, and, and that's that's not a good deal. They had one just recently shot over in South Sioux. There wasn't much publicity about it, but they went to a nursing home and the guy had a shotgun. Mm. and shot one of the paramedics. It didn't do much damage, but yeah, just the idea that it, it can happen. Yeah. That's just one more thing to look out for. It's always sounding off before you, even on EMS call. But yeah, we have, yeah. you know, I see it. I mean, I'm sure you guys have ran into it inspecting. They're like, oh, okay, who's in trouble? Or I didn't do it. I didn't you do know, it. That's right. like, that's right. I didn't no, do it. That's yeah. the first no, thing they said. Sorry, not, yeah. not the police. We're, yeah. we're the fire department. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, George, you know, that many years in Sioux City, you know, you, you, you did spend time out in California, but, you, you know, the majority of your time has kind of been here and, and chasing Sioux City fire rescue and stuff. What, like, I guess, you know, and, and you're talking about, I mean, you should, I mean, listen to you, you almost could give a fire behavior class just because, you know, talking about the, the smoke conditions and the building sure. noise and all this stuff. But what have you seen, I guess, over your years, the, the biggest um, kind of like changes operationally or like things that, that you have seen from the outside looking in? As far as how we, how in Sioux City, how we fight fire and stuff. Well, I, I, I have absolutely, uh, I, I think you guys are right on the money. Given the amount of manpower you got, the equipment you've got to operate, <clears throat> I, I don't like to be critical of equipment, but I, I think sometimes that uh, you need some, some different equipment. You need some quick response rigs. You need stuff that can get in and out of these, some of these neighborhoods that are, the streets are you know, not much wider in the driveway. Uh, overhanging trees, uh, I'd like to see a low profile aerial ladders here uh, where that you can you know, manipulate your way through a, a neighborhood without you know, tearing half the lights off the rig. But um, uh, I think, uh, I would like to see a couple rescue trucks, devoted rescue trucks. Uh, you know, at one time in the 50s, we had a, a civil defense fire department here yep. too. Uh -huh. And uh, they did have some nice equipment. They had uh, they had all the light plants. They had uh, two rigs that had lights and rescue equipment on it. But they were uh, king cab, uh, uh, vehicles where you could put four people on it and uh, the, it was a quick response which I thought was really good. Mm -hmm. Sioux City's got so much territory to cover the mileage wise that it's impossible you know to get anywhere quick especially with the railroad tracks we got downtown and all the rest of it but uh, the only way that comes is with more fire stations more people and, and like I said some more equipment but uh, and the EMS thing has, has been really good for the city. It's been uh, started out as bleeding and breathing, but it's turned into kind of a jack-of-all-trades anymore. And uh, so that 
probably needs to be expanded, and uh, I don't know. Again, it's all about money. Where do you get the money? Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, not that you're not doing a great job with what you got, but you could do a greater job if you had a little bit more, you know. It's mm -hmm. like any, sure. anything. Ben, you got anything? Yeah, I was gonna say. So we got fully involved here. I wanted to kind of pull this out and show everyone. You wrote a book. What what year was this? Twenty. Uh, Twenty. Kind of thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, oh, something like around that. There. So uh, this and this just kind of shows all the documentation that you've made. You know, since you've been chasing, you know, specifically oh, yeah. Sioux City, and this isn't even a fraction of what you've done yeah. in terms of just all over the country and the world. Like you said, some of the work you've done. Um, where can, where can people get their own copy of Fully Involved, yes. George? Oh, Sioux City Gifts, Sioux 1922 City Fair Street. Up on yeah. Pier Street there. Go see George yeah. at his shop. Go see George right. and his wife, Luann, uh, who's a, an absolute well, sweetheart. I wish he was here today, too. Luann wrote it, so yeah. um, I just dictated it. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the funniest thing in there is Red Skelton being the fire chief in Cathedral City, California. That was my idea. Red Skelton was one of the greatest guys to ever work with that you could imagine, and they didn't have a real fire chief out there, and I came to the conclusion one day that we should have a fire chief in Cathedral City, and um, knowing his way he felt about his community, I called him up and said, hey, Red, how would you like to be fire chief? He said, oh, great. Does that mean I can ride in the fire truck? And I said, yeah, you can have the fire truck if you want it. So um, anyway, he said, sure, I'll do it. And so I called, uh, I said, he said, what am I supposed to do? And I said, nothing, I'll call you back. So I called the Bullard Company, and they make the fire helmets out there. And I said, I need a fire chief's helmet. The guy said, okay. And he said, what do you want out of it? And I told him. And he said, uh, I, I said, how soon can I get it? And he says, well, he says, six weeks at the soonest. And I said, oh. I said, I needed it. I wanted to get it quicker than that. And he said, what's the problem? And I said, well, we're going to make Red Skelton fire chief. He said, you are? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, he said, you need more than a helmet. And I said, well, what do I need? And he said, well, you need a badge, and you need this, and you need that. And I said, I said, well, okay. I said, get all the stuff I need. And I said, uh, he said, you know, be what, six weeks? He says, well, no. He says, uh, I can have it down there tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> and I said, oh. And he said, can we get some pictures? And I said, yeah, I got all the pictures you want. So the next day, they showed up with it, brought it from L.A., all bright and shiny, and I don't know how they did it. And I called Red up, and I said, he said, what do you want me? He said, uh, he says, I can bring one of the cars and come over to the fire station. And I said, no, we're going to bring the fire truck over to your house. And he says, well, I just bought a brand-new red Rolls-Royce. He said, I thought I could use that. And Jeez, I said, well, you can if you want. But <clears> I said, we want to put you in the fire truck. And, of course, that's a, the, the picture that's in the book. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, he was, he was one of those super guys that would do anything, and he was very much into the community out there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this, this book is, is the, it's the documented history of the Sioux City Fire Department. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you, uh, are all these photos yours? Not some of them, but some of them the horses were still running. Yeah, the ones from 1880. In terms of... Uh, yeah, George has been doing this for uh, a while, but, you well, know, yeah. the 50s, took, took Chief like 1950 well, versus 1850, yeah, then there's a the, little the, difference. <laughs> the first funeral I went to as a kid was Kellogg's. He was, it was wow. buried out of Parazzo Funeral Home, which was at 13th and Pierce. And that was the first funeral I remember and they buried him in his uniform and it was quite wow. a ceremony but 
Um, I, I guess I was smitten then, uh, you know, and those, more to, those listeners, when uh, the, that Kellogg that he's, uh, George is referring to, for those people that aren't familiar with Sioux City or, or even live in Sioux City, Sioux City, there's a couple unique things that Sioux City has and Sioux City Fire Rescue has. Uh, one of them is George Kellogg. And if you come out to Station 4, anytime you want to come out, we have the George M. Kellogg atrium there, so a lot of historical pieces. But George M. Kellogg was the longest-serving fire chief in history and when i say that i'm not saying uh sioux city history but just in history period that he served as fire chief for 50 years so george kellogg saw um you know the the end of the like a lot of the hand-drawn hose carts he saw the horses come and the horses go and actually the motorized motorized uh, you know fire engines coming and stuff but we have some stuff from his uh, celebration, uh, the chief celebration, yeah. some of the documentation, and then, then the stuff from that. It's it's really something, but that's unique to Sioux City. Uh, the reason he got the job as a, as a firefighter was he could run fastest with the uh, the drawn uh, hose cart. Yeah. And he was the fastest guy, so they decided to make him chief. So that's wow. how he got it. So. <laughs> it's a promotional exams changed a little bit. Yeah, so that, <laughs> a, little a little bit. bit. Yeah. Uh, so as we go through the book and it documents all the history, any firefighters that stick out as some of your favorites to get to know? I, yeah, but again, you know, my uh, names I, I don't remember, but yeah, there's a few of them. There's a few of them that seem like they appear in, in Teeley. Uh, Talking to Orville Teeley, right? Orville. Orwell, I've got him, I think, from the day he raised his hand and said, I do, all the way through his career. And it just happened to be in front of me every time I took a picture. But um, there was one picture I always enjoy in that book. Uh, It was a PI out on the west side, and the guy uh, had a car sitting on his foot, and he's laying face down. And Teeley's running down the street with a little first aid kit, and that was was our first... uh, emergency uh, uh, medical service that we had, a first aid kit and an inhaler. Um, incidentally, going back to that, uh, at one time we only had one inhaler crew, they called it, or originally it was called pull motor crew. The pull motor crew was owned by Sioux City Gas Company, and they had a 1937 Lincoln Zephyr blue that they used to bring it out to the fires or to where a person had trouble breathing and then the fire department would use it but it was in their car and and, uh, eventually they gave the car and the inhaler to the city uh, or the pole motors it was called and and then for years car 18 was the the sole vehicle for uh, medical response and that was down at station one at six and water and in 1973, the, there was a group of insurance men here in Sioux City that had an association, and I was at Channel 9. And we decided that was ridiculous, that they only had one inhaler in the whole town, and it would have to, you know, because of the swimming pools and stuff, they were always running back and forth. So we approached Ed Higman, who was the chief, and said, we want to buy some more inhalators, and Ed hit the ceiling. Nope, not going to have the responsibility of that. We got one, that's enough. So quietly we went out the insurance group and then KCAU. We bought nine inhalators, Stevens inhalators, and called press conference and gave them to the city which 
the chief didn't talk to us for several weeks. <laughs> but then they put one on and on each of seven different rigs had an inlayer on it. But if you go back into the early history of Sioux City, and I have the uh, city codes, at one point, if you were to carry a stethoscope, a fireman could be fired. I don't know where they got this because where would, number one, would they gotten a stethoscope and why would they want to carry it? But if you were had it on your person, you could be fired. You could also be fired for smoking in the fire station. But that was because that dated back to the horse. The hay, mm -hmm. yeah. Set hay sure. on fire. Yeah. But that not to say that not every rig that run old out the door had a half pint of whiskey in the glove compartment. Allegedly, another allegedly. Thing. Yes, yeah. allegedly, yeah. yes. Okay. But uh, and, and the city police used to refer to the fire department as the drunken painters. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but uh, you know, and I don't know. I wouldn't say I've ever witnessed, maybe out of the corner of my eye, anybody taking a drink on the job. But that's way back in history. The Grayson fire. Uh, I always tell the story of when Grayson's burnt down. It was, oh God, it was cold that night and. I was, I think, 15 years old. I was down there taking pictures. And Salvation Army was handing out coffee, and the then fire marshal, I was standing on the corner, and he pulled up in his car, and he looked at me, and I was walking down towards the Salvation Army. He said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going down there and get some coffee. He said, you don't want any coffee. And I said, yeah, I'm freezing. He said, get in the car. So I got in the car, and he reached in the back, and he pulled up a thermos bottle, and poured me a drink. It was a mulled wine, warm wine with some type of seasoning in it. And Warmed 15, you right up too, didn't it? Fifteen years old, sitting there, and I'm, this is not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, there was nothing wrong with it. That was life in those days. And, yeah, you know, yeah. people like back and I say, oh, whoa, 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 no, no, not oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was just, that was the way life was. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, nobody thought anything of it. And of course, we weren't out. People weren't out shooting each other every night either. You know, it was a different, different type of time. And you can't judge what you do today by then. But uh, no, it was good. And uh, oh, that was the night that they lost the tiller-driven aerial ladder because it froze to the yeah. mm -hmm. building and bent. Amazing and, picture of that. Oh yeah, they uh, getting it back. Uh, the Barger Brothers was a record service out on the west side. And, they chose to move it out to their salvage yard. And to get that thing, because you couldn't get the ladder down, they got it bent back over the chassis, but they had to have a record hole in the ladder and drove it through town to get it back uh -huh. out there. But uh, it didn't uh -huh. survive that. And then what they replaced it with in the meantime, there was a period of time when they ordered a 75-foot aerial ladder on a straight bed. Um, Ed Higman was chief, and he built, got an old straight truck and built up a, a rack on the back to put the ladders off the uh, aerial on Ed, and they ran as the, uh, as the truck company out of ones for, it was almost a year until they got wow. the new one. And then when they got the new one, they brought it in a train, it was in the train car, and the chains had broken, they had banged back and forth in it. So once it got here, they had to do a lot of body fender work on it to get it to where they could use it. But, you know, that was life. Uh, yeah. Do you want to go? Do you want to talk a little bit about that Grayson fire? Was that one of the 
first really well, big fires that you were able to probably, shoot? Probably, uh, yeah, it, it ranked right up there. And another guy and I who eventually went to for the state of Iowa, he and I were driving around that night, and we drove down that street. We're just looking for stuff to take a picture of, and you could smell it. You could smell something, but you couldn't. There was no smoke, and uh, we. Uh, it was about nine o'clock. We were driving around, could smell it, and then we went home. And about ten thirty, the alarm came in, and it started in Grayson's, and uh, then it got John's Cafe next door, and it got to KC Hall, and uh, it just went on down the street. But uh, it, but the ice was just incredible that night, and. Um, that was the first big run-in that the city firemen had with the, with the Civil Defense Fire Department because the uh, there were guys on the roof of the Grayson building and they had stacked a ladder in the back, uh, a 40-foot ladder, and were on the roof with a two-and-a-half-inch line. And for whatever reason, the Civil Defense guys took the ladder down. Oh, yeah. And oh, the fire chased them off the roof, and Ben Riley was one of them. They slid down a two and a half inch line from wow. the top floor. I was, you know, what, two and a half stories uh, to get out of the way. But there was a bad blood after that. Was, sure, yeah, I imagine. But you know, nobody <laughs> takes the ladder down when you. That's right. Yeah, but, I, I uh, think, well, especially if you didn't put it up. That's right. Take it down. You know, one of the one of the things that stuck out, George, when we talked uh, a while back was. You know, we, we have, you know, our line of duty desk, we've had how many close calls that we've had. Oh, that people don't yeah. even, that, yeah. that we yeah. ne never get brought up. You oh, know, I, I, know. I didn't know about, just about any of the stories you, you told until, you know, we were. No, there you. were a lot of them. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were, again, faulty building construction. Just same thing that happened to Ann House that happened in a house up on the north side where truck three, uh, they were trying to go in through the front door with a line and the front porch uh, had poured, they had poured an inch of concrete over it. And the fire from the basement had undercut it and the concrete went at a 45 degree angle right into the fire in the basement. And Tom Branzo, who was the captain that was on the line, he, he and another guy slid right into the fire. The other guy managed to get up the holes and uh, partway crawled up out in the holes and grabbed Branzo and drug him up. But that's back in the days when they were wearing those, uh, I think they called them Hypalon uh, turnout coats. They were silver. The silver ones, yeah. And if you had any cracks in the, in, the, in the silver portion of it, the threads would catch fire immediately. And uh, there's pictures of him in the book. He got burned on the arms and face, and uh, he went back to work afterwards. But that was the case of, you know, again, the inadequate. Uh, uh, apparel for firefighters. I think the best thing that ever happened is when they went to this new turnout gear and the five and a half inch line to me was a godsend and positive pressure. Those are the three things in my career that I've looked at that have made the biggest influence on, on firefighting and the training. Um, you know, I I listen to you guys in the morning going out for training and I think, oh God, they're overtraining, they're overtraining, because you can't overtrain. And it, but what the thing is is the it's the basics that keep you alive. That's it's right. not the advanced stuff. Mm -hmm. And I've had occasion to watch guys. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, but they tried to tie a booster line in to pull up 
on one of the apartments downtown, and I watched him and I watched him, and the, they get it halfway up, and Dottie come loose and fall down. <clears throat> I thought I should go over and show him how to tie it. <laughs> and uh, because you had to know, I think it was 20 knots. I mean, you, there were 20 different knots you had to absolutely know, uh, even way back when. And uh, so I was walking across the street, and the AC was sitting over there by that Dairy Queen was over there. I was laughing. He says, what's the matter? And I said, never mind. You don't need to know. <laughs> I just got the car and laughed. Out of sight, out of mind. You no, know, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's the basics that keep you alive. Yeah. And uh, that's... Uh, you can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. Um, what, what do you remember from you know probably some of the darker moments with the fire department? You know, we have a TV, everyone goes home and is happy and stuff <coughs> like that. But um, well, of course, the fire racket at uh, on Nebraska Street—that was a bad one and should never happen. I, I seriously, when I look back, uh, you know, it should never happen, but it did. And um, you should never lose a fireman. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. I mean, if you, uh, uh, not in a city of this size. I can see it in a major city. I, uh, in L.A., they had a uh, uh, fabric manufacturing plant out there. Uh, and upstairs, they had stored bales of uh, cotton. And that cotton got wet. And everybody forget, you know, the retention of the weight. And then it collapsed on top of it. That stuff you can't. Prevent. That's going to happen. If you're going to go in, you're going to take the chance. But a town of this size, we, we shouldn't be ever losing anybody for anything like that. Well, fortunately, that's, I mean, it was unfortunate that, you know, in, in Kevin Johnson, we had on last episode, Dusty, it was Dusty's dad, and talked about it a little bit and stuff. But, um, <clears throat> you know, fortunately, we haven't had any. We've had close calls and your misses, I think, but we haven't had any loss, any other line no, of duty since, I, since the, penthouse. So. What was the, uh, the guy that the chimney fell on? Um, that shouldn't have happened Kudron. either. Edward yeah. Kudron. He was, uh, as I understand it, he, he had a hearing problem, and apparently the other guys yelled at him. And But, you know, it was unfortunate, but... Those things are going to happen. I don't care if you go out on the fire ground; something can happen. You just don't want it to happen. And, uh, you know, always have a path out. I, I I tell everybody that I don't care what you're doing. If you're driving down the street, have a hole that you're going to get in if you have to. You know, mm-hmm. know where you're going to go. One of the things I did as a kid, and I don't know if it's in that book or not, I worked on the, one of the first ambulances Sioux City had, Sioux Ambulance. And by the time I was 15, I delivered five babies, <laughs> and uh, only because nobody else wanted to do it. Yeah, and I sure. was on the ambulance, and I, you know, I was going to healing, and uh, they'd pick me up in the early in the morning if there was a call, and then I'd still be able to get to healing. And I can remember a set of twins. Uh, the guy that was driving the ambulance, he he knew nothing about it, and I knew even less. But <laughs> there was a pamphlet now first aid kit that said something about it so I read it on the way and it was on Wall Street now Floyd Boulevard and I delivered one of the babies in the house and four other kids are sitting on the floor watching me and uh, wrapped the kid up and I'm looking at the clock and I'm saying we gotta go like hell I gotta be at school at 8 o'clock <laughs> so we wrap the gal up and the baby up and the way we go and we're going up Jackson Street and you got right to 
between well and thirteen hundred block because we hit a dip right in front of the old tavern up there, and she says, "I think I'm having another one." I said, "No, you're not. Close your legs." <laughs> and uh, she says, "No, I think I'm having another one." I pulled a blank back to the yep, we're yep. having another one. So, got the other one, <clears throat> went up to Old Lutheran Hospital, which was the twenty seventh of Pierce, and usually you pulled in the back. That's where their outpatient was, and. Uh, I told the guy who was driving, I said, go to the front door, go to the front door. He says, no, no, there's no, I said, go to the front door. So he went to the front door and these nurses come running out and uh, said, what's going on? Got babies here for you. <laughs> and they, of course, they wanted to ooh and ah, the babies. I said, I gotta get to school, take the baby, <laughs> yeah, go. Come on. take her, go. Well, a couple of years later, that was about three years later, I went to a deal down on uh, the end of uh, Floyd now, or Wall Street, where they were building the interstate, and uh, one of the kids was killed down there, one of the babies. Oh. He was down there with his siblings, and uh, there was a cave in the sand, and uh, he didn't make it. Wow. So yeah, those, those things you remember. Yeah, sure. But, um, what about any other like some of your I guess some of your most memorable most memorable incidences or calls or ones that really just stick out in your head that over well, the years that uh, you know I mean I I don't know there's you know so many I mean um, a lot of it has nothing to do with the fire department I had a lot of you know in in a career like mine you you get you get to do a lot you get to see a lot and, and uh, sometimes you don't reflect on them until long afterwards like you know. Hell, I traveled with Frank Sinatra for years, and uh, he was a great guy to work with, and you couldn't ask for a better guy. You know? wow. Bob Hope, uh, Bob Hope, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. <laughs> I, go, go back to Sinatra. Liz was telling me a story about that you know about Sinatra that you witnessed one night with Frank, and some some Frank some uh, some guy said something to a lady that Frank was with or something. Oh yeah, well that was. Uh, that was her name, but anyway, we were in Las Vegas. That was—I I think she's talking about the night he tipped over all the uh, baked Alaska desserts. But um, yeah, he—he uh, he could be short fuse. And his dad was a fireman. And his dad was a captain on uh, on uh, Hoboken Fire Department. And I—I—I I, I said to him, to his dad one day, I said, somebody said you're on the fire department. He said, yeah, he said, I was on the Hoboken Fire Department. I said, what 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 was your job? He said, "Well, I was captain." And I said, "How'd you get to be captain?" You know, just making small talk. And he pointed to Dolly, his wife, and Frank's mother. And she was a politician. She got the job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever, you know. But um, uh, you know, I I would watch him. Well, he was going with Jill St. John. She probably remembers that. Um, we were. Traveling someplace, and we were at one of the country clubs. And he, when you traveled with Sinatra, it was like traveling with the president. You know, he had his security guys and drivers and cars and all that crap. But he always liked to drive himself. And him and Jill St. John were having a fight, and in, in the in the country club, and there was a big party of us. And, and uh, I don't know, it was one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. He decided to go home, and she had got up and left, and. So he goes out, and the vehicles are all lined up. And I used to travel with the PR guy, and he—they brought his—he had a Buick Riviera convertible, and they pulled it up. And he says, "I won't get in it." Well, why won't you get in? 
She had a dirty butt in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now it's going up on 2 o'clock in the morning, and he says, get me another car. And they said, well, what other car do you want? He said, get me a new car. And sits down. Well, all his henchmen, you know, had their own little, in those days, Rolodexes, and they're calling car dealers in the middle of the night. And car dealers are seriously are coming out with cars for him to look at, <laughs> you know. And he's just sitting there, and finally a Ford dealer pulls up in a Ford van, and we thought, why would anybody bring that up? He gets up, walks around it, gets in it, and drives away. <laughs> and these crew of his is just handing out money like it was, like the, I don't know, it was like it was being printed, and he's handing these guys money for bringing cars out. And so he gets in drives away, and of course everybody else to get in their car and go with him, you know, like the president, you know, take him out of his house. But uh, he would do stuff like that, and then other times he'd be the nicest, coolest, he'd come to our house wow. and come in and walk in the kitchen, get the coffee pot, and sit down and have a cup of coffee. That's why I got a divorce. That's why the first divorce, because uh, my wife was a nurse, and those kind of people scared her to death. And she'd go lock herself in the bedroom when they when he'd come in. She just didn't want to be around. She didn't know how to act. Sure. And so <laughs> I finally came to the parting of the way, and I actually I was going to go to the East Coast and work, and stopped in Sioux City and got involved with a go-go dancer at. Uh, Harbor Inn. Don't have that. Yeah, I don't have that. Yeah. That'll happen. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah, um, but that was a different life. Bob Hope yeah. was in, uh, the worst human being you could think of to work with. Nice guy, but don't work for him. Don't do stuff for him. And I shot most of the stuff for Chrysler of him because Chrysler was his big sponsor. And we'd shut down. Uh, I can remember one day shutting down a golf course for three hours so we could take pictures of him. And uh, we paid for it. I mean, we paid for everything. Wow. And uh, we got two rounds of golf in with him with a golf pro. And then he blew up at us. And there was like 16 or 18 people in that team from Chrysler, from the public relations firm, all over. And he just started screaming at all of us and throwing stuff and everything. So. We went home, and they kept saying to me, you got the picture? You got the picture? I said, I hope the hell I do. <laughs> but uh, uh, then one time we were at his house, <clears throat> and again, we'd bring a stand in, a makeup guy, all these people, get everything set up. I was doing a headshot of him, and he it was in the morning. That's when he wanted it. Right, he's sitting by his pool doing all this. Got all ready for him. So somebody says, you go get him. So they went in the house. He comes out, sits down, says, what do you want me to do? And I said, I want you to do this and this. And I was using a large format camera. And uh, I shot one piece of film, and pulled the holder, turned it around, shot the second piece, took the holder out, handed it to the assistant for me, turned around, and he was gone. And he's walking off. And I thought, what's he doing? He walks out the gate, gets in his car, and drives away. And we're all standing there looking at each other like, what the hell is that all about, you know? And so Dolores, his wife, was standing there, and she's standing there with a tray with sandwiches and iced tea and all this. And I turned around and looked at her, and I said, 
you know, when you die, you're going to be a saint. <laughs> and she says, why? And I said, putting up at that. And, uh, uh, she says, and she laughed, and she says, oh, he's not that bad. I said, yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So um, some of that's not in that book. The, the other book I got, Clicks, is called. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think But um, no, they, you know, I mean, you run into some people that are, Super guys and nice guys. And you said you did uh, on our pre-show meeting stuff. You said you t- took some pictures of the Kennedys and stuff. So with oh yeah, yeah. So did you ever meet JF? Did you remember met oh, yeah. John F. Kennedy? Yeah, many times. Yeah. Wow, many times. Um, yeah, I still have the Secret Service stuff that they gave me when I was with him. But um, yeah, I went to a lot of parties and stuff that never, you know, were there was never any publicity about it, and uh, that was kind of interesting because. When I do them, uh, they would take my camera case and take all the film away from me, and then they would give me the film to shoot it with. And um, so then I'd go ahead and shoot whatever their guy would tap me on the shoulder and take a picture with and all that. You knew people that didn't mind having a drink in their hand, but if they had a drink in their hand, you'd have to give them one of these and they'd put the drink behind them. And you know, it was all like protocols. Mm -hmm. And then they would, after it was all done, I would give the film to a White House rep, and he'd count the rolls, and then whatever was left, they'd give me. But I could never take anything with me. Sure. And I I had that happen with Prince Philip. Uh, I shot him playing polo, and I it was the same routine, but it wasn't the U.S. Secret Service; it was their people, and uh, that was fine. And what they said to me, they're very proper, you know. We wouldn't want to embarrass the prince if he did something wrong on the polo pony. I said, I wouldn't know if it was right or wrong <laughs> if the polo pony ran over it. <laughs> so I said, you know, that's fine with me. I Because mean, they didn't want to be, a, I, me, be offended by them taking the film. I didn't care they did the film, but they paid me, and that's all I cared. There you go. But, um, uh, yeah, you, it, it was a great learning experience. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, yeah. George shot JFK. So. Yeah, sure did. Many times. Many, many times. times. Many times. Um, one picture I got of him has been around a lot. Uh, I never got any fanfare or publicity out of it. He was going into a church, and I was allowed to be the only person in the church when he walked in the front door. And... Uh, the news media is all outside, again, hating George, because why is he there and we're here? But um, he, as he came in, he tripped, and he started to fall forward, and this priest grabbed him, and God, that picture is everywhere. But um, I only wish that I had got residuals off. That would have been nice. But, um, yeah, the, I've had some pretty good knowledge. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. It sounds like it. Any yeah. anyone else that stands out? Well, I don't know. There was there were so many of them uh, that you know you got caught up in that thing mm-hmm. and you just didn't pay any attention to it any anymore, you know. A lot of people Derek Hyland. Derek Hyland, nobody ever, ever heard of the man, but he was one of the big steel industry owners in the country. I was talking to him one day, and he was talking. Actually, he was talking. There were three of us standing there, and they were talking about cars. 
and he was talking about how his roles uh, he hated it because it read just it was a terrible vehicle it felt like you were riding a truck and the other guy was agreeing with him and they looked at me and i said i've never ridden in one so <laughs> about it. he says what do you mean you've never ridden the rolls i said i'm not I have no occasion to ever be in one. Well, I'll, you can you can take mine. I said, I don't want to take yours. Next day, at my house, guy comes to the door, bangs on the door, and he says, uh, Mr. Highland wanted me to bring the car. Here's the keys. And there was the rolls. <laughs> and I said, my God, not in this neighborhood. Don't leave that thing out there. I said, drive it in the driveway, you know. Well, he says, all right, it's insured. He says, it's full of gas. He says, whenever you're tired of it, just let me know. I'll come get it. Wow. <laughs> I never did drive it. No. I just, you know, every day I go out and look at it and go, well, the neighbors are going to talk about this. Where did you get that? You know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's things like that you remember. But, um, uh, you know, those people, I, I didn't realize who Derek Highland was until I got back to the city and started looking him up. Phil Regan was another guy. Uh, he was at one of the parties one night that uh, I was at his house. It was with Kennedy Deal. And when that party ro uh, got done, it was again in the middle of the night, and one of the Secret Service guys said to me, you don't drink, do you? And I said, no. He said, well, Mr. Regan wants to go to his ranch up in Apple Valley. He said, will you take him up there? And I said, I got a 65 Ford Mustang out there. I said, I'm sure he don't want to ride in that. And he says, no, take one of his cars. And he said, uh, just leave your car here, it'll be okay. I said, okay, so they poured him in the back seat and we go up Interstate 10 out there. And I'm driving the speed limit and he braces up out of the back seat. He says, what the hell, why, why are you going so slow? And I said, well, I'm doing the speed limit. He says, See those switches underneath the dash? I'm looking around, and say, yeah. He says, turn them on. So I flip them on, red lights front and back come on, blinking. And a highway patrol car, he was in, the, at that time, the California Highway Patrol couldn't run radar. Uh, they had to chase you, they wanted you. Well, I was doing the speed limit, but he, because of the hour of the night, he came up out of the ditch and he was following me. And so when I turned on those red lights, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble now. And he just pulled over and parked by the side of the road again. So we went to Apple Valley with red lights. So I got up, dumped him out, and took the car back without the red lights on. And uh, I had never figured out what the deal was, but his license number was PR1. And I noticed that when I brought the car back. And obviously, he had a lot of clout with everybody in the country other than me because I didn't know who he was. Well, I found out he was a retired New York City policeman. He was an opera singer in uh, Metropolitan Opera and a big, big contributor to the Democratic Party. So that's, you know. <laughs> okay. You always run into stuff like that. that wow. you, you didn't know why things were happening. <coughs> Bob Hope Desert Classic, I did all the photography for him. And the guy that was running that PR wanted uh, Colorado license plates on all the cars that the pros were using, but because they had mountains on them, mm -hmm. well, they wanted them to be, they're green, and they wanted blue mountains, but they wanted uh, the cars to say Bob would be one set of license plates, Hope, 
would be one set. Desert would be one set. And that. So they called the governor of California, and he called the governor of Colorado. And of course, we had the license plates immediately. <laughs> so we're down on Highway 111 out there in front of one of the country clubs, trying to take a picture of cars saying Bob Pope Desert. A highway Patrol guy pulls up. He says, what's the matter? Don't you like our license plates? We said, yeah, they're fine, but they want these. He says, well, they're on a state highway, and I'm going to have to write you a ticket. Well, we didn't have cell phones in those days. So I'm going, whatever. And he says, I don't know how the hell you people think you can get by with stuff like this. Okay. So one of the guys got walkie-talkie, and he makes a phone call or a radio call. Pretty soon the beeper goes off on the patrol car. Patrolman goes over his car, comes back, folds up his ticket book. He said, that was the governor. You can do whatever the hell you want. He got in the car and drove away. Jeez. <laughs> you, know, you, you talked about you know, being donors to political parties and stuff. You probably got a good inside look to just, you know, the, the dirty laundry, you know, behind Hollywood. And, oh, it, and uh, yeah. You know, who, who really... Who's always scratching it's each like, other's backs. It, well, it's like everything else. I mean, you know, they were able to, years ago, they were able to keep that publicity down. It's yeah. just like taking the film away from me. Mm-hmm. But uh, today, they don't. And there's so many people looking to make a name for themselves. So any little piece of dirt they get, they take it out and they hang it out on the clothesline, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, you know, enhance their own position in life. And as a result, uh, I, I, to me, I look at the news media and I, I just, I can't believe what I see. But uh, everybody wants to be a personality. You know, they talk about well, Cronkite and those guys, Tom Brokaw. <coughs> Tom Brokaw worked at KTIV when I worked there. And the thing was is that um, those people were doing news. They were really honest to God in news. And like Dave Nixon just died. Well. Dave was somewhat of a celebrity, but he he did believe in what he did and, mm-hmm. and had some morals and principles and stuck to them. But the guys today want to make that that quick buck, and they'll do and say anything. They'll make up stories. They'll tell half-truths. Politicians do it. Everybody does it. But, you know, I ran for city council here once, and boy, I tell you, don't ever do that. <laughs> don't ever do that. If you ever get an idea that you want to do it, to take two aspirin and lay down until the way it goes away. But um, uh, because, number one, people expect you to, to, to do whatever they want you to do, and they don't understand, don't understand your one vote. And you can't do that. I mean, you can't one vote. You gotta look at the whole scheme of things and mm-hmm. say what's what's gonna be good for everybody, or most of the people. But you can't do that. Yeah, and, people uh, probably start expecting uh, favors uh, from you. Oh, uh, they call you. If you if you put a sign in your yard right now and said you're gonna run, you start getting phone calls tonight. Sure. And you say, well, I haven't even got elected. Don't make any difference. You know, they want to get on the bandwagon. Yeah. And uh, well, I wouldn't recommend anything. Be a firefighter. It's easier. There you, go. you put the fire out and go home. That's and, right. Uh, Never be rich. Always yeah. be happy. Just don't, you know, don't, don't break out too many windows. What, uh, I guess, is, and something, too, that most people don't know about you is, and, you know, as long as we're on the Los Angeles and talking about California stuff and, and some of that outside of Sioux City film, 
um, is your your prop studio, you know, the stuff yeah, and we the have different a prop things. Yeah, out there. We're partners, yeah. uh, and we have been for quite a few years. That started <coughs> started over the 232 thing. When the 232 crash happened here and they did the movie Thousand Heroes, we kind of got injected into that because I'd had some experience out there and uh, between Luann and I, Luann did the extras casting for that show and we got some of the props and she coordinated all the out-of-town ambulances and stuff and all that. And so one of the guys that was working the show uh, was a set decorator for it and we got to know him <clears throat> and then we were doing the gateway ads and we went to California to do some of them and hired him and his people and we were going to prop companies out there and, and uh, Mark uh, Meyer, uh, I said to him, God, I said, this is really an interesting business and it is if you ever go through prop shops out there. And because uh, there's all types of specialty ones, uh, there's science fiction, there's other ones that do military stuff, there's all kinds of stuff. And I said, this would be a fun business to be in. And he says, well, you know, I want to get out of doing the movies, you know, on a uh, per movie basis. He said, might be an idea. Well, he started it and we joined into it and helped him out with some money and stuff. And the next thing you know, we're in the prop business. And uh, we have a 80,000 square foot building in North Hollywood and 18 people. Wow. And um, we supply a lot of props. Uh, this, what's the one that the remake military picture? Oh, the, the Maverick. Maverick. Yeah. Uh, we did some stuff for that one by phone. I introduced him to a company called Granger's, which used to be here and everywhere in the world. Uh, sometimes you think these people that are in that industry really know everything that there's out there, and they were having some problem with the lighting and the hangar. And I said, have you tried Granger's? And they said, what's Granger's? And I said, well, they're a supply company, an industrial supply outfit. And they called me back and said, God, you really saved their bacon on that one. We never <laughs> heard of them before. And I, I thought everybody knew about Grangers. Well, they don't, you know. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, like I said this morning, uh, Luann got a call at 6 o'clock this morning for some movie that she's doing stuff for right now as we speak. But um, it's a different business. Uh, you can make a lot of money. COVID almost broke us. But um, they're back and they're bigger and better than ever, so uh, I, I think the survival is on the horizon for that company, but uh, yeah, it's, um, and now we're, you know, we're building a Holocaust Museum out at the railroad mm -hmm. thing, and that's consuming about 29 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, I've seen some of the concepts of some of the yeah. ideas and everything, that's going to be, it's, it looks like it's going to be just it's an gonna amazing, be, it's gonna amazing be exhibit. Like, uh, uh, Holocaust Disneyland, but uh, we're doing a lot of electronic stuff. Dave Gross is a guy that I worked with for years at Channel 9, and he's semi-retired, and so he's doing electronics, but um, it'll be different, and uh, we'll have it open probably in two months. Because one of the, like, you have the, one of the rail cars that's out there is an right. actual, yeah, we got the actual it's, train It's not cars, an actual right? car. Not it's actual. a car that was a reproduction car that was uh, used in the Lone Ranger. And um, so we got it, uh, we trucked it here from California and uh, are redoing it and uh, 
putting the guardhouse on it and, and doing it up, and uh, it'll be pretty slick. Mm. Yeah, when you walk in that car, you think you're going down the road. Wow. The things will be going by in the windows and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be neat. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, uh, it's just, there's only so many people that you can tap that know how to work on that stuff. And, uh, um, but we're, uh, we're, we're getting it together. George, you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, how COVID really changed the movie industry and everything. Uh, do you have an opinion on how everything's kind of going from streaming nowadays and everything's a miniseries versus, you know, how movies are made and the quality of movies? Well, s some of the stuff that you, you see on some of these off channels is better than what you're seeing in Hollywood, I think. But uh, um, generally speaking, uh, the new documentaries that are being done, a lot of them are really good. Uh, and a lot of the docudramas are, are good. There's a lot of junk out there. Uh, but um, it's it's really helped the industry as far as uh, keeping people working in Hollywood. Uh, a lot of them are on real short budgets, but uh, nevertheless, they're doing good product. And uh, if they keep it up, I, I think it's good. It's people still have an appetite for junk. Sure. And uh, always will. Yeah, and always will. And it's just like junk food. They'll all like junk food, but. Um, that's always going to be floating around out there. But um, I think, generally speaking, things are being done pretty well. Yeah. And some of the people that have been mainstream directors and stuff, a kid that I worked with uh, at uh, Channel 9, John Baring, he does uh, Blue Bloods. Mm -hmm. He's the director of Blue Bloods, Law and Order, uh, FBI International he's doing. Um, I talked to him about twice a week. But he, uh, uh, he's doing some good stuff, and his daughter now is uh, a director. She lives in Atlanta. Atlanta's getting to be quite a, a filmmaking place, and she's down there working at it, doing stuff. But, uh, <clears throat> and Ron Clements, who, of course, was the savior of Disneyland, he worked at Channel 9, and uh, he'll be here in April because they're going to do... Uh, I think they're doing what? What one of these movies? Uh, uh, Aladdin. They uh, they're going to play the thing, and the symphony orchestra is going to be the music for it. Oh, He's going to be here for that. Well, I can tell you a story somebody just did for one of the farm magazines about the manure pile burning out of the stockyards. I had a call from a guy in Mississippi that was, writes for one of the farm magazines. Are you on? Yeah, I'm recording. Okay. So. <laughs> we'll put that right in the middle of the yeah. game. There you go. We'll throw it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, called me up and he wanted some stories about the Judas goats that they had in the stockyards down there. Judas goat was, would lead the lambs to slaughter and then turn around and go back and they'd give the Judas goat a cigarette, a <laughs> uh, uh, unlit cigarette, and that was his reward, and he'd take another look. We wanted to do a story about that, mm -hmm. and because uh, he thought that was just hilarious, and I said, "Well, it went on for years down there," and uh, you know, and he, so we had to go through that dialogue. <clears throat> I said, "But you ought to do a story about the the manure pi uh, piles down there that used to catch fire from spontaneous ignition." And he said, "What do you know about them?" And I said, "I know a lot. I got a bunch of pictures of them down there wading in the manure, trying to put the fire out, the fire department." 
And uh, so we went through the whole dialogue, and he was rolling on the ground laughing down there in Mississippi. But I said, you know, I said, the Chamber of Commerce decided that because of the odor that that's what's driving business out of Sioux City, so they put up a 15-foot metal fence around it. And I said that was supposed to keep the odor in, <coughs> which is true. And uh, But the, the, they, the, it was common in the summer that they would catch fire. And I mean, there's a picture, I think it's in the fire book, but there's just acres of manure that they'd clean the, the pens out and pile it up. They had no place to go with it. They'd give it to farmers for fertilizer. But um, then the EPA came down on them because as, when it would rain, it would run into the Floyd River and into the Missouri River. But it was great stories, and the guys that had to go down there and put the fire out, they'd be dragging that two-inch line through that oh, manure. Gosh. And, you know, how would you like to have to clean up after that, you know? But uh, um, then uh, we were talking about various incidents over the years, like, uh, you know, they, they used to have, the assistant chief used to always have what they called the chauffeur. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm 100% to bring back the chauffeurs again today because the ACs have so much paperwork to do and computer work to do that uh, they they need somebody to drive while somebody is distracted with the computer. But that all happened because of a fellow by the name of Charlie Cool, who was an assistant fire chief. And Charlie had a very, very heavy foot. And he would wreck a car virtually every week. He would, and I mean, when, he's, when he would wreck them, they were wrecked. And um, he had one deal, the door comes open, the red light comes on, the siren goes, and get out of my way. And if they didn't, he'd push them out of the way. But they find, found out it was you know, cheaper to put a guy there to drive him, so they, that's how it started. And, and of course it ended because shortage manpower. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, and then Bob Arnold, who was a chief at one time, Bob, when he started, he was the tiller man on that, uh, uh, aerial ladder that uh, had uh, the uh, tractor pull it and uh, they were at an alarm on 3rd Street and somebody pulled in another alarm on them and uh, the driver took off but uh, Bob had not got up on the tiller seat yet. <laughs> oh man. And they went around the corner right third going up Douglas and the back end swung around and went right through the window at the, uh, there was a Lincoln Seed and Feed. Wow. Busted the window out and took the corner off the building. But uh, So the, the aerial ladder got, had a ding in it before it ever got to the Grayson Fire. But uh, uh, we used to have We also some, no longer have tiller ladders in Sioux City. No, <laughs> no, I know, no, no, no. But uh, I'll tell you, if you want to, see something exciting, go to San Francisco and watch those oh, guys. Yeah. They can do things with that tiller that you can't imagine. Oh, they, I've, I've seen videos online. They it's can win an alley so, with one like, just like grease lightning. Like well, like it's stuff you can, like they're putting these things in like a place you can hardly drive your car. I know it. And I they're taking it. corners with these tillers. It's yeah. just unbelievable. It's just, just amazing. Apartment complexes. With yeah. Yeah. Tight turns around. And they're the just as casual about it. You know, my yeah. God, I'd, I'd be you see the, like the tiller, the tiller drift when they uh, uh, go, go when they're running the blocking. Mm -hmm. that, that, mm -hmm. You know, oh man, and it's just cool stuff. Yeah. Shippers can get all worked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking, you're speaking my language, guys. Yes. Right. Yeah. 
Hey, side note, uh, the 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 goats, the Judas goats, like just a quick Google search, like literally pulled up an article where George is mentioned in it specifically. Yeah. Uh, in uh, this guy wrote in, in November of 2022, and there's pictures of this goat, and he said, yeah, right in this article that the goat, and then the goat would get to the cigarette, and he's addicted to the nicotine. That's that's what he wants in the cigarettes. <laughs> there so, you go. Yeah, and this goat <clears throat> would lead. The, they're trained goats, and they would lead these sheep. Up the uh, up the platform, up to yeah. the kill floor. Oh, that's wow. funny. Yeah, uh, George. Any before I want to talk about flight two thirty two. Any other fires that stand out? Well, I mentioned Carroll Apartments was one. Oh, Carroll Apartments was a dandy. Katie feed, of course, that was a dandy because uh, the picture. I think I have a picture of uh, one of the. Well, it's Ed Higman, the chief, and uh, Skidmore is standing there with him. He was the training officer, and. Uh, the city engineer standing behind him with this horrified look. That's because while KD was burning, there was used to be a company down there that rehabbed railroad cars, and then we caught fire at the same time, and they were like a half a mile apart down there. We're right lying under the viaduct, and they're going like, we've got everything committed down here. What are we going to do about that up there, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, But um, KD has had several fires that have been pretty pretty much dandies. And, uh, I think they finally figured it out how to not have fires, which helps. But uh, 232, of course, we did that show. That's an interesting show. Uh, we did a show called Alert 3. <coughs> and uh, what happened on that one was we were approached by the Sioux City Fire Department after that event to put together a film showing the fire department's role in it. Well, uh, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, was training officer. He came in with all, because I did not go out there. I worked for General Electric during that deal. We were doing a lot of the technical stuff at our studio. Uh, we were doing a lot of duplication and engineering type stuff for General Electric. So I didn't go out there. So I said, you get all the stuff together and we'll put a show together. And then what they wanted it to be is the Sioux City Fire Department was the, had the leadership role. Well, that didn't come to pass. So the Earl uh, Schmidt, Schmitty, that he was the training officer. So he got all the stuff together and we started going through it. And I said, well, I said, the one that keeps coming to the top in this is uh, Gary Brown. And I said, he seemed to had the, the plan and they worked that plan. <clears throat> so they said, well, okay, we'll go back. So I went back and said, well, go ahead and do the show. So we did the show, and honest to God, I got sued over the thing by Mercy Medical because they said I was making money off the crash, which it was not. We had about $10,000 cash in that show, and they told us to, first of all, the United Airlines was going to pay for it, and they wouldn't pay for it. So they said, well, go ahead and sell it and make some money off of it if you can. So we sold it for 49 bucks, and we gave away as many as we sold, including to L.A. But anyway, uh, they picked that movie up and made the movie Thousand Heroes. That was based on that movie. Correct. And so uh, that's how we got involved in it. And I'm telling you, um, um, it, it was Sioux City's greatest moment. Everybody did everything right. I mean, there was no outstanding person. The whole town was a hero. 
because <clears throat> nobody got in anybody else's way. They just, each organization did what they had to do. And if there was ever a town that pulled together and the, the national publicity that Sioux City got out of that thing was incredible. Um, probably the only tragedy in that film that we didn't see is they had a premiere here and Charlton Heston's meal got dropped at the Hilton Hotel by accident, <laughs> to which you could feel the air go out of the room when it happened, that their celebrity's meal had hit the deck. And, uh, but he responded very well. But um, they, uh, there's still bad blood uh, over that thing, and there should not have been, because I think everybody did a masterful job. And you talk about the, the news media and the way they handled it. There were news media that had went down and bought sheriff's uniforms and tried to get into the hangar down there where the bodies were. There were people dressed up as Red Cross workers that were from the uh, National Enquirer trying to get in down there. Wow. There, uh, the, there were a lot of things that went on behind the scenes that were never brought out. Mm -hmm. But... Um, uh, Sioux City handled it. I don't think any other town could handle it as well as they did. No. Uh, we'll put some. We'll put some links in the in the show description and stuff that because the videos. I think a lot of people see, like when disasters happen and this. And I didn't even realize it before I moved down here. Um, I'd watch videos, actually watch videos of the crash, on just disaster shows or whatever, mm -hmm. and and uh, not realize. And then all of a sudden one day I'm like, oh, they said Sioux City. I'm like, wait a minute, that's where yeah. I I'm in Sioux City. It's like, oh, that happened. That's that's the crash. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll put some links in the uh, show description, show, yeah. show notes. But the uh, the term "alert three, though that you called the movie, and that's that's I was an just actual. Ask yeah, and that's talk about that. Yeah, and that's because that's an actual. <laughs> that's, an that's an actual, actual F, term. Uh, FAA term. Uh, uh, an alert two is just that your equipment is standing by. Alert three is imminent crash. Yeah, yeah. imminent crash or plane already on and, crashed uh, on. <clears> the <throat> thing was is that. Uh, it was because of the way it was circling. Uh, they at one point had the equipment uh, at the other end of the runway, and then uh, everything was getting screwed up. And finally, they said, "Somebody said no, they're coming into the other end." So they moved up, but then they were in the right in the path of where they were going to land, so they had to back it up. But. Um, uh, there was a lot of sparring around for getting getting in position, but everybody was in position, and uh, uh, the uh, Orville was the AC that day, and uh, um, what's his name, uh, Red Dog, um, the other Hathaway, yeah, yes, Hathaway. Jim Hathaway, right? Yep. Jim, that crash affected him. Uh, very dramatic way. I don't think Jim ever recovered from it, but everybody thought they could do more, and it wasn't anything you could do. I mean, you know, Al Haynes, all of them, I mean, they did everything they could, and they did it as as well, well as they could. Well, for a crash that, you know, if you look if you look into 232 and stuff, they've, that his, him landing, or getting, you know, is landing as much Absolutely. as he because the biggest thing is that, yes, there was a loss of life, but it's how many survivors there were. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's his, his feats that he did with that plane have never been duplicated. They couldn't. They, 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 they cannot duplicate it. <clears throat> he did that day. I asked him, I said, what would have happened if he came down on the wheels? He says, well, 
as fast as they were coming down, he says the wheels would have probably sheared off. But he says if it had rolled out, he said we would probably wound up in the river. Wow. And he says he he thinks they'd have killed a lot more. This is Al Haynes. Hey, Al Haynes, right? yeah. You got you got to talk to him, I assume. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, in fact, I I was invited to go on his last flight when uh, uh, he formally retired. We all went out to Denver, and that was kind of interesting too. Uh, Gary Brown, uh, Dave Kaplan, who helped get him out of the cockpit. Um, who else was on that? Hathaway. And we all went out to Denver and flew with him back to SeaTac, Seattle. That's where he originally came out of. <clears throat> they told us, we were sitting back in the steerage, I call it, in the middle. And they had the same crew, the same surviving crew was flying an airplane. And they had a standby crew just in case anybody freaked out. And I was sitting next to a gal that worked for the Iowa Attorney General's office. She had nothing to do with the crash at all. So um, they said when we land at SeaTac, the fire trucks will be lying on the runway and they're going to spray the plane with water as a salute. So we're all sitting there, and I'm, I've got the further seat back, and Gary Brown's sitting right in front of me, and Haynes, or uh, Hathaway's there, and, and over here is uh, uh, Kaplan. They all got their uniforms on. I'm sitting there. We're flying in, and all of a sudden, I hear the stewardess say, oh my God, get those guys from Sioux City. And I'm thinking, what? And this gal next to me is freaking out because all she heard when we took off is about the crash, crash, crash. So she thought we were crashing. <laughs> and I said, no, no, we're not crashing. And I had to explain the whole thing to her. And she says, oh, my God, and she's shaking, you know. And I said, we're not crashing. Everything's fine. And then I hear the stewardess say, oh, my God, get those guys from Sioux City. And I said, I don't like that sound. <laughs> so she comes up and bangs me on the shoulder, and she says, get your buddies we got a problem. And this gal now is right on the road. <laughs> so I hit Gary Brown on the shoulder, and I said, hey, and he's got a drink in his hand. <clears throat> I said, come on. I said, get the other two guys. Something's going wrong. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, just get them. Come on. we got to go in the back of the plane. So we all get up and go back in the plane. Well, there's a guy had a seizure, and he's down under the seats. No. And he is not doing good at all. So we're standing there going, what the hell do you want us to, you know, so they're trying to get him out from under the seat. In the meantime, we're getting right up towards SeaTac, and the gal comes on the PA system. She says, we've had an emergency aboard the aircraft. She says, everybody remain in your seat when we come to a halt. She said, uh, it's being handled. So the plane now is this. So <laughs> they get him out, and Gary Brown has got him under the arms. Kaplan's got him under the knees. I've got the guy's luggage, and Hathaway is in the mix. So when they pull up, they drop the gate or the, the off-ramp in the back of the aircraft and those two go out first well 
there's an ambulance and sheriff's cars and all this, and these sheriff's deputies pull out their nightsticks and they come running up the steps to greet this <laughs> thing. And Gary says, put the nightsticks away and get a IV going on this guy or we're gonna lose him. And so they thought, because Gary Brown was in his uniform, they thought he was a sheriff's deputy fighting this guy. Mm -hmm. And the guy's out like a light. So anyway, we get him bundled up, get him in the ambulance and gone. And so in the meantime, they got everybody off the airplane. But as I was going out the door with the luggage, she says, we gotta thank the guys from Sioux City. They rescued us again. <laughs> but they said that over the PA system. <clears throat> and uh, God, I'll never forget it. I mean, I thought, oh, this is all we needed, you know. Bad PR for everybody concerned. Okay, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, you know, we're before the tones drop. Well, we have our paging system, and it's everything pretty much two-tap. That isn't a fire. Otherwise, it's four taps for fires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The paging system, I'm re you know, I'm reading through the book, um, was pretty innovative that they started here in Sioux City. Yeah. And the reason we call them TAPS is because everything was sent out by Morse code, right? Right. And yep. it's cool that we still call it a four tap because everything's been electronic for years now. Well, but yeah, but originally what would happen <clears throat> when an alarm came in, especially if they pulled a box, it would come in on a ticker tape and it would, it would tap it out. Then the phone would ring. There was no dial on the phone. You just pick the phone up and they give you the address. And then you look at the board. In fact, the board was down at threes. I don't know if still, still hanging up still, yeah. still yeah. with, yeah. with, yeah. with uh, the numbers for, mm -hmm. for that location. For the, box, the box numbers. Up. And uh, then uh, uh, when I was a kid and used to hang around up at floors at 1414 Nebraska, they would write it in chalk on a blackboard when they went out the door. And uh, that's so if they called in a second shift there, they'd know where it was at. Where it was at. Yeah. But, uh, and then the original, you know, the original walkie-talkies they got were humongously heavy. And uh, the, uh, then they got a single-channel walkie-talkie that they used. But, um, yeah, the, 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 the taps, people wonder uh, all the time. The other thing is, is that the old linen hose had to be washed every time you brought it back. Mm -hmm. And uh, the hose bed had to be cleaned out and everything. And then Thursdays is clean out day, and that's because of the feed coming in for the horses. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you look back in the early city codes, uh, if you were uh, arrested and charged with a crime and were going to serve 30 days or more in the county jail, you could serve it at the fire station. Wow. And uh, you were paid dollar or two dollars but you you had you would be at the fire station and you'd clean up after the horses and do whatever they wanted you to do but that yeah. was uh, Proby work. It, yeah that's what it was <laughs> Proby work Proby work uh, you know, probation, yeah. you're on probation. <laughs> yeah, probation, probably work. Yeah, it's that's maybe that's, is that why they call it probation? That's, that's I probably why. Tell, you tell people, like, I'm on probation. Yeah. Oh, what'd you do? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Why aren't you got a horn suit on? You know, speaking of probation, you know, part of our process when your first years, you learn the city and you learn the maps of streets, and it's always growing, so it's getting more and more. But we have iPads and phones and everything now. And so, two questions. One, how. How, what was response time, you know, back in, you know, before, you know, all this new equipment and technology came out? And two, how well did those guys know the city? 
Well, I think they, everybody knew it pretty well, and of course you could always drive towards the smoke. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, is that uh, response times, uh, you know, a lot of it depended on the equipment. Uh, you know, it didn't go like it goes today. Um, we did have a uh, Ford truck company. You know, you know, we lost a lot of companies over the years. Two's engine is gone, Ford's uh, nines, station nines gone. Uh, uh, Ford's truck company. Ford's truck company was the workhorse of the town. Three's truck company. Uh, they were straight trucks. They, and then you had the aerial as so they had three truck company. But uh, response time, uh, I, I think they they wanted you to be there in four minutes, but I think it was closer to eight or ten. Yeah. Because um, uh, just by the nature of the beast, uh, uh, I can remember when I first started chasing fires, they were, the, the mechanical apparatus was chain-driven, and they'd only go so fast. Wow. And uh, they made a hell of a lot of noise. That's I, I think mean, it was could, American, it was an American LaFrance, I think it was yeah. the last company that made chain-driven. They yeah. weren't so traditional that they, they were the last company to make chain-driven yeah, apparatus. And, boy, I'll tell you, Ford's uh, engine was a chain-driven engine. And, uh, you could hear it coming. You didn't need to hear the siren. You could hear the chain banging around on there. But uh, I, th I think 1414 Nebraska was a really good location. The building's still there. And uh, that straight truck, was that was a workhorse. Yeah. One thing you didn't talk about is me jumping in the net. Yeah, let's yeah, talk, let's talk, talk about, about the net. Yeah. That was uh, Sid Skidmore's idea. He used to have a lot of ideas that were kind of... You know, when you look at them today, they would have really frowned on. One, you had to, uh, as part of your probation day, they'd stack a 40-foot ladder for a church stack in the back of threes, uh, old threes. So a church stack, if people uh, aren't familiar with that term, so a church stack is when, you, when he says a 40-foot ladder, and he means a 40-foot ladder standing straight up in the air, and a church stack you would have basically ropes tied off to the top of the ladder and four points. Guys would hold the ladder in four points around on the ground. So basically, it's the ladder straight up in the air, and it's just being held there by the ropes, and guys just pulling tension from different directions. That's a church stack. you had to climb up the ladder, go over the top, and down the other side. <clears throat> well, It's got a whole it, lot of nope written over it. It, uh, it got its uh, name because they would go out to churches and change the light bulbs for them. Mm -hmm. And uh can't imagine doing that today. But um, then... Uh, so they go through the, as they call them, the evolutions. The training consisted of a whole bunch of books that they got from uh, Oklahoma, one of the universities. And you would go through, the, it was about the size of a Better Homes Garden magazine. And one would be on ropes, one would be on hoses, one would be on ladders, one would be on forcible entry, and one on first aid. And those were the, that was the training. They'd yeah. hand it to you and you'd read it and then the training, uh, the drill masters, they called him, would come in and ask you questions. And, uh, but anyway, they were down there going through evolutions, and I was shooting some movie film for him. And uh, so we decided to get that, uh, what do they call him, Vanguard Nat off the, one of the rigs, and uh, the guys would hold it. And Skidmore decided, he says, tell you what, he says, he said, would you mind jumping in it? To me, and I said, "No, I'll jump in." And so I had a Bell and Howell camera, and so we went up, and we were we were talking about going up on the fourth 
top deck of that drill tower and jumping off that. And I said, I don't want to do that. I said, I got to crawl over the railing. I don't want to do that. So I said, but I said, I'll jump out the, the door up there on third. So, okay. So they get out there and they're screwing around with it, you know, the whole. So, um, and we're looking out, and boy, it looks a lot further down. <laughs> so uh, he says, well, maybe we ought to check it first, because he said, they haven't used it in years. And I said, I, said, I don't know if they've ever used them. So there was a roll of two-inch line up there, holes up there. So he says, we'll throw it in and see how it happens. Went right through it. <laughs> I mean, it didn't even <laughs> slow down. I mean, it was like right through into the ground. He says, well, Maybe we shouldn't do that. I, said, I don't think we're going to do that. But, but um, that was the, that was how the training stuff went. Uh, the uh, training there was training, but it was you know woefully inadequate. But nobody at the time knew it. I mean, they thought it's just state of the nation, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, yeah, they had fun. You know, and uh, sliding poles. I mean, uh, you know, there were a lot of injuries of people sliding. And people get up at night to go to the bathroom and fall through the bowl hole. The other thing you had to be careful of is there were doors on the bottom of the hole. Mm -hmm. And they keep the uh, cold from coming up. But uh, those doors would spring back, and they, they clipped a couple guys on the head and knocked them right off the pole. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hitting the concrete, so yeah. not too good. Uh, one guy was seriously hurt down at once. He, uh, he hit tailboard you know, when he went down and uh that would not I think didn't wasn't paul snyder didn't he break like both ankles sliding up, like on probation yeah, like broke yeah paul yeah. didn't he break like mm -hmm. both ankles sliding yeah, up on probation I, and still like healed up and went on to you know <coughs> have a career so. well they usually uh you know after a while first they took holes took the couplings off and wrapped it around so there would be a pad so that you hit that but that's like hitting the rock and then they eventually came out with rubber bumpers, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know if we ever went to the rubber bumpers. We no, because we at four, so we are you know we have the only station yeah. with a pole in it. Right. And I mean, it's more of a, a a museum piece more than a functional right. thing. You yeah. know, it's it's out of old station one, um, so it's a that pole is a hundred years old. We do have, and actually the pad we have at the bottom of it came out of old threes. Okay, uh, we got it from when Firehouse when when Polly bought Firehouse Bar. Um, they had that stuff, the old Station 3 Turner Firehouse. He had some of the stuff still in storage, and we one day we went down there with Kogel and stuff and asked about them, and sure. he still had them. He said, yeah, no, I got these things. So we got so it's the pad from, from old 3s on it. And, yeah, it's just that thing. It's hard rubber, though. I right. mean, it just, it's very little yeah. cushion on that. Yeah, I could see a guy zip yeah. down those two stories with, um, you know, wet pants or just not having a good grip on there. And well, they always pick up uh, some speed. were careful when kids would come in to tour the firehouse, number one, yeah. that they wouldn't jump through the hole, but uh, otherwise they'd reach up and grab the pole with their hands, mm -hmm. oh, hands yeah. and the mm -hmm. grease would get on it, oh, and that yeah. would knock you off there too if you weren't careful. Yeah. So you, we talked a little bit about like they used to feed the horses on Thursdays. Well, yeah. we still, the majority of us still do scrub out on yeah. Thursdays because that's, yeah. we're steeped in tradition here oh, in Sioux yeah. City, and we still have the, the pole ladders, no church climb anymore, no. <laughs> thank God, but yeah. we still have the 40 and 45 foot ladders, and um you're talking about the poles. You guys still brasso it every. It gets yeah. Every now and again, it gets it gets brasso. But that that was like that was a ton of brasso and elbow grease that went in because oh, that yeah. thing was was as black as this tablecloth about when I came when we put wow. it in the station. So I mean, the, to get it, I mean, it's never you know it sat in storage for so long. It's it's got scratches. It'll never be a mere finish. 
polished up like it like it would have been back well, in the day. Well, there used it's, to be it's a better than it used storage to be. room down at Wands that had a lot of stuff in it that you know over the years kind of got disappeared. A lot of trumpets. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And we had one guy that nailed most of those trumpets, and what he would do with them, they had a ornamental uh, New York-style fire helmet, silver on them, and a uh, piece of uh, cabling through it, you know, that the guy would hold. And he wanted those little helmets off to make key rings out of it, and he'd go in there and break them off. But, so uh, all those disappeared, I think. I don't think there's any of those left. Um, there are a lot of things that kind of grew the legs. Yeah, I, well, we'll get back to that because you have another story about Station 4, but I was going to ask you, do you know, uh, if I said the term pole lights, you know what, what, what that reference is to? Oh, which? The pole lights. Pole lights. Pole lights. So that was uh, Station 1, our pole lights have been out. We've been getting them fixed. They're back up and running now, and we, everyone keeps using the term pole oh, lights. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, and, and uh, <coughs> we've used them more in the last two weeks than we have in the last 10 years, I'm sure. So actually, Captain DeBont sent out an email about we know the history of the pole lights, and that was the lights. So you, sure. can, so you see the fire pole in the middle Absolutely. of the night. And for us, we like, why are they called the pole lights? Yeah. And I, was, I thought it was pretty cool. cool. Just just the tradition that's, that sticks around, you know, like the church stack, how to get its name. Well, you know, right. the origins of that, and then yeah. it sticks around forever, and things just don't and go they, away. Uh, they, did they ever, they had them. They had at one time, those pompier ladders, the ones you could hook on a windowsill. We've got one at, we've got one at Fours. I think, I think it was a Sioux City one. It was one at per, uh, Irving's pieces okay. that was the museum but we have one at fours kind of set up but yes we have a Pompier ladder so, so. we were talking yeah. just like tactic stuff the other day yeah. at station three and rather than the pull the Pompier ladder I mean we would use a roof ladder now or yeah. with the hooks yeah to hook but the essentially kind of the, the same concept, same concept. Yeah, well the only the, problem with those is it would swing in against at the mm-hmm. bottom the that's the thing it had to gotcha have. Uh, well, yeah, and you look at the little, I mean, the pegs, the pegs and, on my there feet and stuff aren't like on those. No, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. like you look, I mean, it, the best it's, way it's a gorgeous you got piece, somebody up that way is to get on the PA and just say, run. That's <laughs> 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 you know, but yep. um, yeah, yeah, that story from station four about was it the, the bell you got? You know, you talk about stuff getting oh, acquired well, and going I, missing I over years. And it. it actually came out of fours, but it was sitting on the wharf deck down at Blunt's oh. down at Six in the Water. And uh, there was they had <coughs> traded in all the game well stuff. Well, that was all the ticker stuff. That and was all the ticker stuff, It was yep. all laying out there. And um, I was down there looking it over, and uh, a couple street boxes were there, and it was a whole bunch of junk. And, Ed Hagman was chief, and I said, God, I'd sure like to have some of that stuff. And he says, yeah, he says, yeah, there's some pretty good stuff there. And I said, yeah, I'd like to have one of those bells. And uh, he says, yeah. He says, well, you know, he says, we're all going to be upstairs at a meeting at uh, 1 o'clock. And he says, there won't be any down here. So <laughs> I said, yeah, okay. And I kind of looked just him. He says, yep, yeah, he says, everybody that's down here is going to be upstairs at a meeting at 1 o'clock. And I kind of, you know, kind of clicked in and I said, oh. And he says, see that door there? He says, that, you know, that goes right out to the alley. He says, you know, guy right there. He says, <laughs> so he says, we're all going upstairs now. And that was my clue. I grabbed that bell that you got down at threes and, uh, uh, the street box, but damn, I wish I'd have grabbed some more. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was it was just 
game oil probably threw it in a junk pile. Well, we we look we actually because uh, Buckley with the historical stuff has been looking at, at that and looking at those systems because there is a, a fire museum I can't remember where we we found the YouTube video but that has a functioning game well system just in their museum so you go over to the pull box and you pull it and it yeah. does the it does the gongs and then that ticker tape which I didn't yeah, realize that 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 it had you know I, I knew the board came up and it would do the things and the different gongs I didn't realize that ticker tape was part of it but yeah then it would tick it out and then there's also has another system where then it takes that and relays that to the other stations then from the main uh, it's just a it's amazing. an it's an amazing system they have it all in a glass box so you can look and see all the moving I don't parts think there's a picture in my unreal. book of the central alarm room down here mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but it was enormous I mean this one right here is that it yeah, yeah well actually it's it's the the wall behind us is what wow. you look at I mm -hmm. got that tick that key at home wow. um but uh then yeah you'd read Kenny the, Snavy read the was uh he was on, on light there duty. and then go to the board to lot to the pull to the board and then that mm -hmm. would tell you which pull box which would refer to an yeah. intersection mm -hmm. still didn't give you an address no but yeah, you're going to that intersection yeah, that box then alarm. yeah and then i don't know look for the smoke or look yeah, for the person standing there saying it's right here put yeah. the light duty guys they'd work to the alarm room and there was oh. a guy by oh. the name kenny snavy it was there for years and I, I, he knew how that thing worked. I mean, he knew it intimately. He knew if it was light bulb out or something wasn't working. And that's what it took. I mean, you had to have a, you had to have a special breed of cat to be in that room because when when one of those alarms came in, it was all hell broke loose in there. Yeah. Was there any other jobs that are obsolete now? You know, they've been replaced by computers that were just a staple point of, of the fire department. Oh, I don't know. They used to have a secretary. Uh, it was a guy because it, everything was upstairs down there. Um, the hell is his name? Murphy. Uh, and then they had, uh, I was trying to think of the old headquarters down there. The chief and uh, Paul Dreves was up there. He was the fire marshal and then training officer. Everybody was training officer at one time or other. And then they had a quarters upstairs for the assistant chief. And uh, his, his driver slept downstairs, <clears throat> and they had a, a guy that had to be down there. If the AC cars went out, it had, somebody had to man an office on the first floor in case the public came in and wanted some. And it had a Murphy bed so they could sleep down there. Um, and um, no, that's that's about it. They had the fire department mechanic. Uh, they had a mechanic in the early days. Now they got one again. Mm -hmm. Great, uh, great addition. Yeah, oh yeah, Justin is God. Yes. Yeah. And uh, awesome. the old boy, he had a pickup truck and had all the extra parts and tools and extra fuel and he'd he'd follow any four tapper. He'd he'd be out there. Oh, wow. Because you know the pump would break down or something, he could magically fix it. Um, what else did they have? That's about it. Yeah. Uh, they had two guys in the bureau. Phil Kemish was in there, and uh, yeah, he was a captain. He uh, he was the character. He's the one that had the mold line. <laughs> He's also the one that had a go kart and was cleaning it with gasoline in his driveway and set himself on fire. <laughs> but. Um, 
and then uh, he had a lieutenant that had two daughters that were incredible. They were banned from the fire station. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they essentially were banned from the fire station. Kraft, Marv Kraft. And his two daughters could have been in the movies. So they were banned. <laughs> and they used to have water fights routinely in the fire station. Yeah. And can't do that anymore. Uh, there was all kinds of crap that went on. You know, yeah. that uh, today they'd put you in Oh, you did listen to the stories, like talking to Rick Owen, the stories of old ones and all that, and like, yeah, the, the shenanigans and the things oh, like you God. used to, like, you're like, oh, man. Yeah, there'd be, there's probably, I mean, I'm sure there's rules in, in the, in the, and our uh, APs and stuff that pertain to, you know, yeah. we always it, say that, that that's so-and-so's rule and that's so-and-so's rule and stuff like that. But, yeah, the stories of, of the those uh, the old ones and everything, that it's... Yeah, well, you know, they, they awesome. were always tearing the doors off the rigs when they had the oh. doors open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they put uh, light, and they had the named after one of the firemen that tore more doors off than anybody. <laughs> and they had a, a light so that if one of those doors was open, there would be a red light on the dash, and they'd know that. Yeah, that's funny how certain things get their names from certain guys yeah. on the job that yeah. have been on the job. That happens. Um, all the, we're always leaving doors open yeah. still. They had a civil defense rescue truck one time that they tried to keep in there. It was huge. God, it was huge. It was a real. They never used it. But the feds gave them uh, one. It gave everybody one. And so they had that one down there. And so the fire department got tired of it. They, it was just taking up too much room. So they decided to put it in the basement of the police station that had a ramp that went down the old police station and there was a garage down. Well, they thought they'd get a good run at it and take her down the ramp and by God, they wedged it in there. <laughs> and I mean, they wedged it in there, they wedged it in there. <laughs> it was wedged in there for two days until they could finally pull it out with a couple records. <laughs> Uh, there were things, you know, like the, the police department and the fire department were always fighting because mm -hmm. the police would be making too much noise and the guys couldn't sleep. And they had a gun range in the basement of the police station. They'd go down there and shoot at night. And of course, the guys would want to sleep and they'd be down there shooting and they'd be banging on the walls and screaming at each other. And there, were, there were things like that that really put the flavor into the mm -hmm. fire service. And unfortunately, you know, all that stuff is gone, maybe for the best. Yeah. But, um, but but as you tell some of these stories, it's you know you hear it and you just like I could you know if this was today I could I already know the character doing this and oh, yeah. I already know the character I know what person I'm, I work be doing with the same thing. doing the same thing so it, the more things change really the, the more they stay the same it's well, just the floors, toys are different and floors there are stories about floors that we shall not put on tape <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the things that would happen up there would they're very unsavory. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised how fast some guys can run, <laughs> especially if they're down the street in a different house oh. and the alarm goes off. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the windows are all open in the fire station, so you would hear the gong. And they, you wouldn't want to be in that alley on between 14th and 15th on Nebraska. You could be trampled. <laughs> Uh, there was, yeah, all kinds of that stuff. George, go man the station. We're going to be out for a little it, bit. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Our, uh, yeah. yeah. That, that station, <laughs> that building, that, that 1414 Nebraska Street, that is, it, it, I wish, 
I wish I could have seen him when I was still a firehouse because I haven't still been through it like now. Firehouse, well, right? and haven't been through it now uh, inspecting it. So the downstairs <clears throat> kind of got a remodel because of different business moved in. But the upstairs is still, for the most part, untouched. A couple little things here and there, but the old floorboards are still there. The, a lot of the old stuff where you can see, you know, where, where things used to be. Oh, man. And it's there. I just feel like there's so much history in that building. Well, it's just yeah, it's there a was really, a, really cool building. There was a hose tower in there. Where they, you know you had to dry the holes, you had to fold them, dry mm-hmm. and then that's uh, probably still intact. And then you know, I think if you pull that ceiling, you can still see where the horse mm-hmm. uh, equipment was on. Well, the the uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the brace for the for the come along and stuff to pull the hay up. Right. That's still, still off the back there. of the building and stuff. That's still there. <laughs> then uh, you know when they when they moved out of there, there was a. Uh, Roll top desk that had been up there since day one, and nobody wanted to move it down the stairs, and they threw it off the back window. They busted it up, threw mm. it off the window. The stuff like that, you look back and went, "Oh God, yeah. Yeah. that yeah. stuff would probably worth ten thousand dollars today yeah. if you had it." But um, <laughs> but that rack in the back, the floor slope, and that's where mm-hmm. they wash the hose and then haul it over and pull it up in yeah. the that's, Yeah, as as you know, the service has evolved. You know, the chores that used to be you know, weekly, daily activities yeah. that are now obsolete. You know, like, we don't hang hose for, you know, every now and then it's like, oh, we'll hang that piece or something. But, um, it, state, you know, you're talking about all the, you know, the stories, some you can't say, maybe some you can, but, like, Station 3 was, you know, old Station 3 used to be down where, you know, yeah, nightlife was, was, uh, oh, yeah. was, was there. Uh, you have any stories from that? No, I was... That you, that you can share? Well, I, I never maybe. hung around threes that much, other than when they were trying to kill me jumping out of the tower, but um, I, I hung around fours a lot. Yeah. And down at ones. I was down there a lot. A- any favorite stations? <clears throat> Always fours. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. Kind of your hometown station there? I guess. Later, you know, it yeah. was just a neighborhood station yeah. that everybody kind of hung around. You know, one of the best PR that the fire department ever has when they had a bench out in front of the fireman to sit out there at night mm-hmm. because all the kids in the neighborhood would go by and, and adults and everybody would go by. But that really set up a relationship with the neighborhood. And, um, you know, even after <coughs> I started working in TV and stuff, go hang around the fire station. They knew what, I, what everything was going on in town. It may not have anything to do with the fire department at all, but there was always a, a rumor mill going, and you could always pick up on stuff, and it's still that way, I'm sure, but the uh, news people don't show up. I mean, it's, yeah. they wouldn't know enough to do it. If you drove a picture, they wouldn't know enough to do it. But, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of them. I said, do you have, a, who's your contact? What are, you, what are you talking about, contact? Do you know somebody? That, well, no, why would I know him? I said, well, don't you ever get off your ass and go out and talk to people? <laughs> no, no, we really don't. Don't have time. Well, yeah, you do. That's your job. Yeah. You know, you go out and you make contacts, and when something happens, somebody will call you or somebody will let you know. You know, they might not come right out face-to-face with you and tell you that, you know, so-and-so just ran off with so-and-so's wife, but they'll, you know, tell you something down the line so that you know oh, something's up over there. But... Um, they don't do that anymore. That's part of what's wrong with uh, with society. There's mm-hmm. that face-to-face con is, sure. is over with. Yeah, hey, there are people right now. I know a couple here in town. If they get in an argument, they'll sit and talk to each other on Facebook, but they won't talk to each other in person. Yeah, yeah. I think, people yeah. don't understand that what you put down there is them. 
I mean, I've, I've been in enough trial situations where they, they dig up stuff that you thought, oh, God, did I say that, you know? <laughs> and uh, did somebody actually record it? And yeah. these lawyers can get a hold of it right and left, and they do. Um, you know, it's like uh, at one time here we had a police car that had five cameras on it, and it would read every license number that drove down the street. Mm -hmm. And the idea was is that it was a wanted car or something that would come up on the computer. <clears throat> well, the city of Sioux still has one sitting out Central Maintenance Garage. But it got, in, it didn't, but the system got into the, uh, into the courts and people found out that those license numbers that we were reading were going back to this company in Australia and they were selling it to, like, you could call up and say, uh, I, I have a license number and give them the number and for 75 bucks, they'd tell you where that car was. Wow. I mean, where it went, yeah. the time, because it was recording all mm -hmm. of it. And uh, Canada is the one that started it. They wanted to put them in the Canadian police. And Canada won't allow it even allow them to demonstrate one out there because of it's, you know, violating your, your rights. Yeah. Uh, but any information you record or put down or whatever, somebody will sell it. Sure. And that's not good. Yeah, it's not going away either. No. Um, <clears throat> one more question for you, George. A lot more fires back in the day, or is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Because uh, that's partially because of inspections. Mm -hmm. I think building materials. Um, people are a little bit more conscientious, I think. Still, they do crazy things. Uh, I think uh, the biggest threat right now is homeless people going into properties and, and things and you know, they got it's they gotta be someplace. Yeah, that's yeah. been our last few weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you 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 can't it, it it's not a crime to be poor and it's not a crime to be homeless. But uh, on the other hand we I, I think we need to address that problem and, and do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is and I don't know how you do it because a lot of people even if they were given the opportunity to, they don't want the opportunity. They don't want to live inside but they need some place to be, and uh, uh, I think that is something we, we better get a hold of, especially in Sioux City, because yeah. we're not that big a town, and we're overrun with homeless people, yeah. and mentally handicapped say, people. I will say, our uh, compared to other big, bigger, you know, to me, you know, my hometown's 8,500 people, you know, sure. so Sioux City's a big city. I, to me, it's a big city, but when you go to you know, a bigger city, whether it's, you know, Nashville, Minneapolis, Las Vegas, whatever, I, I will say, like, I do think our homeless population, people might not notice them as much because, especially at night, they seem to find someplace. You don't see them sleeping yep. on uh, business doorsteps or, you know, uh, grates that are on the ground where steam are coming sure. up. You don't just see them piled up everywhere. You know, I mean, if, if you know where to look, you see it, but they kind of they hide away versus some of these other big cities where they just set up a camp find a patch of grass and you have a camp of sure. you know 30 of them just right in the middle of town or they're just sleeping everywhere so i will say like we we do have a population but i don't think people uh see them as much you no. know it's what we do on our <clears throat> on our end when we're responding to a lot yeah. of these calls and different things yeah. you know so yeah i uh, i worry places like the warming shelter catching fire or something like that that's that's going to be a disaster but, yeah you know i brought these with me you know we were talking about uh, the fire department apparel. These are what they used to give everybody. 
Those are like the tick mitts, are they? Tick those, mitts. Those tick mitts. And the thing is, this is all you were allowed to wear. You can't wear gloves. Wow. And the problem was where they get wet and they would get hard. And the idea was <coughs> to carry as many of these as you can. Mm -hmm. So every firefighter had his pockets full of these. <laughs> and they carried extra ones on the rigs because once they got hard, frozen, throw them away because you, they just didn't work anymore. But yeah, this, this and a rubber coat and a blue denim farm jacket, they called them underneath, and a helmet, and then they gave you a pair of hip boots, pull-up mm -hmm. boots, mm -hmm. but then you had to buy your own steel insole for them, and mm -hmm. you had to have them because if you st stepped on a board with a nail in it, it was gonna go right in your foot. So you'd buy these steel inserts and put them. But, uh, and I think you got $200 a year clothing allowance. Which For actually people listening, George yes. has a pair of oven mitts basically in his hands, it and that's what that's, the guys were issued. Yeah. Yep. Exactly, exactly. That's what it was. And, I, yeah, I mean, and they nice stamped blue them. Stripes they were proud. The fire department yeah, stamped yeah, them. Yeah. These right came on. from, uh, what was his name? One of the assistant chiefs gave them to me. He said, uh, you know. Yeah, I Piece remember like some of the guys always thought, some of the older guys where I came on even and stuff talking about the old, uh, oh, take the old tick mitts. Yeah. Yep, George, is there... Um, like a, a favorite, maybe not the most famous picture you've taken, but like like the, the, your most favorite or like top three most favorite pictures that you've ever taken. Can you, I mean, can you be like, you know what, this one, this one, this picture that I took is really special or, no. you know. I can't think of anything that's that special. I mean, a lot of them were hard to get, but I, you know, uh, there were a lot of them that were very complicated. When we did the gateway ads, some of those things were Who took the, did you guys do the one with the, on the pirate ship, on the sailing ship? Who did that? Oh, yes, we did. That was your picture? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, it's been popping up in, like, the, one of these, like, back the, uh, we the, shot it in the remember Hollywood. the 90s, like, things in my Facebook is popping up with gateway computers, and oh, it's wow. and it's on a, yeah. it's on a sailboat, you know, thing and stuff, so, yeah. Well, what happened on that one was, uh, that was shot in Hollywood. We shot it out there, and, uh, we got to talking about doing this concept of sailing the rough seas of buying by mail. And we came up with the idea to do it on a pirate ship. So we started looking for a pirate ship we could rent. Well, there were two or three of them in LA. One of them belonged to Walt Disney's company. And they said, yeah, they'll rent it to us. So we went out and looked at them and none of them would really work. So there was a guy, he originally lived in uh, Kearney, Nebraska. Can't remember his name. He was the guy that built sets for the Academy Awards. And so we got a hold of him, Keaton Walker. And we said, uh, this is what we want to do. And uh, so I flew out there on a Thursday, met with him in an understudy he had. They brought us a bunch of books and stuff and we looked at them. And I said, that's what I want. I need half a ship. So he said, uh, as they do in Hollywood, he said, how soon do you need it? I said, it shoots Tuesday. And this was Thursday. And he, so we, we had a early morning meeting on Friday. He says, I'm doing the new Academy Award set at this particular studio. He said, we can build it in the studio. There's enough space. And I've never seen anything like it in my life. They went in there. 
they came up the concept. This young understudy has came up with the design for in a matter of hours. And so we went in there and we were laying out what we were gonna do. And Keaton says, but we gotta put it in water. And I says, how are we gonna do that? And he says, we're gonna build a pond. And they did. They <laughs> fabricated wow. a pond and that's actually sitting in the water. And I called back to Sioux City and I said, this is what's going on. And so Luann grabbed a bunch of people and people from Gateway and Ted and all of them. And they said, go full bore. So we had to, Luann flew out there. She was out there right away. So we had to get costumes for all those people. So we called Western Costume, said, this is what we need. They said, okay, we'll, we'll start pulling costumes. We called Central Casting and said, we need this and this and this for people. Said, okay, we'll, we'll have pictures laid out. So at three o'clock, it had been Saturday morning, we'd go to Central Casting and they got pictures laying out on a table. We picked out the people, we said that one, that one, that one, that one. They said, well, don't go away, we're gonna call them and see if they're available. And they're calling them in the middle of the night, yeah, they were available. So we get everything going, they send in a plane out with the computers on it, get everything ready to go. Ted flies out, so Tuesday morning we're ready to shoot. And the cat, the Cast came in, the one guy walks in, we had had the, the computers flowing out in there in the gateway cowpatch cow boxes. And uh, this one guy walks in and everybody thought it was milk products. <laughs> oh, because of the cow, because of the yeah, cow print and, on there. And the it's one the guy walks in and he says, Gateway. And I said, how do you know Gateway? And he says, I used to work for FedEx in Sioux City. He says, I know. Jeez. So that was small world, but yeah, so we got it shot. The rigging, all the rope on that came out of Dorothy Chandler Theater because Keaton, who was building the set for the Academy Awards, they had new rope and he says, that don't look right, we gotta have old rope. So he called the Dorothy Chandler and says, take all that rigging down, all that rope, roll it up, bring it out here to wherever we're at. <clears throat> and he says, we're gonna put new rope on all the rigging in the Dorothy Chandler. So. We got the old rope, which we wanted, and they got the new. But I never watched people work like that in my life. They were building that. As, as one group was finishing, there was a group coming and painting it and aging the paint. Wow. And it was amazing. It was like yeah. a symphony concert going on. Cool. They were just, nobody was getting in anybody's way. That's when I found out the best job in Hollywood is the honey wagon driver. That's <laughs> the restrooms. He got $4,000 a day for the use of his truck, and he never left the cab. Only on occasion he would get up and go in and spray some air freshener in the, in where the people that use the restrooms. But my goodness, and that was cash. Wow, and hand him cash. And I thought that's the job. That's, that's the job. job. <laughs> you know, George, as, as we wrap things up here, you know, you hear all these stories, <clears throat> Sinatra and Kennedy and all that stuff, and then here you are chasing fire trucks to Sioux City, Iowa. Is it, would you say? Well, and, and now sitting on our podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. This is, we're, we're out kicking our coverage here. Yeah. Um, would you say Joe Rogan never had George Limblade, right? Yeah. You well, on Rogan's show? You've probably been asked. But. No. But anyway. <laughs> you should. Do I ever look back and wish I was doing it again? Yeah, I would say that. And then just, would you say this is still your favorite thing to, to document and take photos oh, yeah. of and videos? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and people look back and say, well, you know, why would you ever leave that? It's changed. You yeah. can never do what I did. And nobody could. 
today yeah. because number one, there's too much red tape. There's too much yeah. crap. There's everybody wants to sue you, and you have to have the the uh, contacts. You have to have the inside track. I d I didn't do anything because I was like I told everybody I was not that great a technician, but I just happened to know the right people, yeah. and the right people were shoving me in there, shoving me in there. Mm -hmm. Today, anybody would be afraid to do half the stuff. I, did. I watched a show last night that was about the mafia, and I, I've shot a lot of those people. And the thing is, is that, and that's because we were doing work for IVP, which kind of had a connection, and they would send me into New York to take pictures of stuff. And I knew who I was dealing with, Mo Steinman, <laughs> and a few of those people, wow. yeah. The thing is, is that uh, there, there was a guy over here running a company called CP Sales. Um, you would want him for your neighbor, nicest looking guy you ever want to meet. Uh, nice guy, quiet, easy going. I had to go over and do a portrait of him one day over to Coast City. And then I read in, uh, there's a book called, uh, the hell is it called? It was written by a guy from the Wall Street Journal. He sent seven guys to the East River. You want to buy our product? Bang, and uh, he, but he was one of those kinds. Of, like I said, he was like a choir boy, and uh, he was a Jewish kid. And when I took the picture of it, he called me one day, and I thought, "Oh God," because at the time I knew he was connected, but I didn't know how connected. And he wanted pictures uh, sent to his mother, and because uh, he was going to be the Benai Brith Man of the Year, and. Uh, I thought, well, that's all right. So I sent the pictures, but then afterwards you find out who this guy was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, if you didn't like him, you'd probably find yourself in the meat grinder someplace. <laughs> but, uh, and then Mo Steinman, who was one of the big, uh, one of the five big families in New York, he was strange. He'd come out here for board meetings, and he, you just had a feeling when you're around him, don't get near him and don't talk to him. You could, you know, you you can shake your head or say good morning or something, and he'd answer you. But he had that look. You just don't go near this guy. I mean, it's like, don't go near him. Yeah. And uh, he never said a lot. He probably said a lot behind closed doors, oh, but he didn't sure. say crap when he was out. You know, he would line them all up and take the picture. And uh, one time they sent me in there to photograph some. Uh, processes that were going on and they said uh, it was on 14th Street in New York and they said there'll be some people meet you at a plane and they'll take you out with what show you what they want the picture of so I thought oh I don't like this so anyway <laughs> they sent me on these two guys meet me and uh, of course that's after I'd come back from California and I was rounding up those birds out there that I knew who they were, so they took me out. <coughs> we took the pictures, and they said, is there anything else you want? And I said, oh, I'd like to go in that joint and get some pictures in there, and they said, let's go. So we walk in, and these guys are all doing their thing. And they look up, and they see these two dudes standing behind, and they go right back to doing what they're doing. They said, go ahead and take all the pictures you want. So I went and took the pictures. Walked out of there and they said, Anything else? I said, Nope. And they said, You want to go have lunch? And I said, uh, No, I better get back because they had a plane waiting for me. And they said, Oh, well, we, we got time for lunch. I said, No, I, I think I should go back right away. <laughs> I, said, I want out of here. <laughs> but yeah, those there's moments like that you remember. Yeah. But, and um, we, we keep digging into another story. Um, 
we're gonna we'll have if you'd like we'd love to have you back on again real soon and tell Flint. tell more of them i have a feeling we're just scratching the surface of yeah, yeah you know yeah. most of this stuff you lived in a, you're an incredible life and seen so much and so many and oh yeah i don't i really don't know if there's an individual that's just seen and done as much well, it, you know, for all this, for all the stuff that George has done with the movies or seen in movies, how come there isn't a George Lindblad movie? There's, there? there's, uh, Iowa Public Broadcast is trying to do one, and uh, I don't know how lucky it will be because it's, you can't put this stuff oh, together. Oh no! Right? But too you know, much. if you read Clicks, that's the other book of mine. You know, when I was, everybody says, why, why didn't you be a fireman? Well, number one, I couldn't be a fireman because when I was born, I was born alone, my insides outside. Okay. And they had to put me all back together, but I wasn't going to live, so the autopsy stitched me up. Yep. And, uh, here you are. Yeah, and here I am. But it <laughs> took 92 drops of ether to knock me out. Wow. When I was 12 hours old. Yeah. Well, that screwed up my lungs because yep. I always had asthma. And uh, so, I mean, I could never do it. But then I got to thinking <clears throat> a while back, I got drafted mm -hmm. and I went in for the physical and this old doctor looked at me and he said, well, what the hell's wrong with you? Did you have your spleen taken out? And I said, no, and I started to explain it to him. And he turned around to these other two young doctors and said, well, he says, oh, the damn Russians over on in this country, why are they sending people like that in here? Get out of here. So that was the end of that. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was at a military base running with 65 pounds of equipment, shooting other people, doing stuff that I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be able to do. And I'm thinking, I hope nobody recognizes me. But, you know, um, uh, so that's why I didn't do it. That's why I, I probably would have. And, you, and you, in a way, you did do it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. the, like the reasons you couldn't do the job, and yeah. then you're telling stories about yeah. going in without masks. And yeah. But uh, and it was like, well, nobody told me I couldn't, so I'll, I'm doing it. There you go. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 but that's the problem with kids today. They have to be trained. They have to have this. They have to. Have, no, you don't. Just get off your butt and do it. You know, <laughs> get in there and do it. That's right. But um, and you're, yeah, you're going to get knocked on your ass. You're going to screw <laughs> up. You're going to make mistakes. Go ahead and make them. Yeah. What the hell? Nobody's going to put you in jail for making mm -hmm. a mistake. Must no. shoot somebody. Yeah, you know, I wonder if it'll be where the adrenaline doesn't, you know, kick in. Where you're just trying to make stuff happen because it's it's work and it's got to be done quick and it's got to be done you now. You can't, you know, that's what you try to convince people. I don't care how much simulation you do, you can't get the adrenaline right. No, no. I mean, until you're till you're into the thick of it, until somebody's, you know, because. You can go through all these first aid drills you want, but until somebody's screaming, throwing up on you, peeing on you, fighting you. Yeah. Well, in simulations or training, there's always a stop button. Yeah. You know, you, if you yeah. get to a point where everything's yeah. just getting too much, you can always just say stop. Yeah. You know, and that's where you can't simulate that in real life, that there is no stop button. There's no that's stop. Where you, can't, you can't simulate that because no matter what. That's unfortunate yeah. that we can't, you know. Yeah, we can't do the most real simulations like back when you're around when they were training. Yeah. they'd train, they'd burn houses. Of that absolutely, they, they'd train yeah. burn. We well, can't do that anymore. Well, that was well, because of uh, Urban Renault. Yeah, well, didn't wasn't there? And again, we keep going and going. But was it there? There was a, a training fire though that you did kind of get uh, caught in a little bit. Oh, well, that was a Christmas tree fire. Yeah. That was out on uh, Hamilton Boulevard, right there by Parrot Creek, and uh, they wanted to show the the problem with uh, 
Christmas trees burning and not closing your bedroom door. Which we talked actually talked about it on our last podcast. That mm-hmm. was Christmas tree safety. And yeah. Stuff, so yeah. Uh, anyway, they set up the tree at the bottom of the steps, and Bill Kimmich, the fire marshal, and I went upstairs, and he always wore a Class A uniform every day. So he's up there in his long winter coat, and we're up there, and we had him start the fire, and smoke came up. You know, and we closed the door and. Hell, that's no good. We got have some fire coming up here. So, opened the door and Kim was just yelling at him. So, they there was a joint selling Christmas trees right there. So they went over and they had some bales of hay that they'd stuffed Christmas trees. Got a bale of hay, brought the hay over, pulled it all apart, put it under each Christmas tree, and let it off. Well, there's about this much snow on the porch roof, and so they get it going and they get it going, and I'm up there. <laughs> filming it with 16 millimeter film. And Kemi slams the door and the damn door blows open it's just about as fast as he shut it. And we dive out that window. <laughs> and so we're sitting out on the window in this ice and snow yelling at fours to get a ladder because the fire's coming right out the window behind us. And um, we got our butt out of there. But and Kemi <laughs> was yelling and screaming about it. And what the hell did you think we were doing up there? You know? That damn it, does anybody got any water, you know? <laughs> <coughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, you, you can do things like that. And uh, <clears throat> But when I look at these shows now that they put up at Christmas time with a tree burning, you know, and all that crap, I go, ain't the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> ain't the way it is. <laughs> when she kicks loose, she kicks <laughs> loose, and you better be moving. Because <laughs> That's, you know, you had a thought you were talking about the ladders, and, and, and I really hope, you know, if anyone listen doesn't think like we're beating up that crew because like, oh, no, like, like no, you say, no, you know, no, no, no. When we were on probation, you know, Debbie tested this, like you tr- we had think of the ladder commands, you know, and you have like your set and pivot and all I don't think there's ever been a fire where that happens. No. It's usually the driver by himself no. throwing a ladder yeah. way bigger That's than he should right. be throwing. Well he grabs while he's doing it. like six other things. At the same <laughs> so time, it's it's throw a ladder to get it out there in case they well, need just it. Like that. Exactly. Just fired it the other it's, night. Like, it was yeah. just Douglas exactly. Street shippers exactly. running just, around throwing pit throwing ladders every which direction, yeah. you know, because yeah. we had guys upstairs and downstairs and like yeah. George said we do a lot with a little amount of guys and yeah. a little uh, amount of equipment because you have to. And you and you know, I I can see that you're running and you you grab the top rung and you grab you don't care what the hell it is let's get it up there you know? yeah and uh and that happens and um uh it's it's monday morning quarterback and you stand mm-hmm. there and go why'd i do that but you know you, you do you'd probably do the same thing yeah. that afternoon if yeah. it came the same circumstance yeah did, you, everything you do is circumstance that's initiate. Really well i i think our yeah our, our medics um you know the critical thinking that's involved oh. anymore with pre-hospital that you know the, with the medications that they they have and the abilities that they have to to be able to paralyze people and, and put tubes in their throats to help them breathe and you know shocking and starting people's hearts again and all this stuff and and having the ability to do it you know with with our guidelines and protocols but the critical thinking and the wherewithal to Absolutely. you make the decision right <clears throat> there on the scene in somebody's house like you said not the doctor's office where you're right. you know in a you know or in the ER and stuff where it's a semi controlled environment climate controlled environment all the equipment you need is within arm's reach and you're and you have space to work you know i, I think uh, people don't see that on uh, as far as our EMS side of responses is what what the paramedics and stuff and what what we're capable of doing you know as first, you know, pre-hospital, first people on scene. Well, he, what was it, over in eastern Iowa, they uh, <clears throat> had to do an uh, amputation. 
two paramedics and a surgical team That's right. that came out of uh, Iowa City. Yep. Uh, but they did an amputation on a guy caught in a conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were underground. They were in, it was a subterranean type thing. Mm -hmm. Thank God there were two doctors at the University of Iowa Hospital that went out there because I guarantee you, you got two doctors from St. Luke's or Mercy Medical. Mm, I'm doing that, you know. You get them up here, I'll take care of them, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, and you can't blame anybody. We live in a litigious society that everybody's looking for the quick buck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Shakespeare said, you know, get rid of the lawyers. And uh, they should. I mean, because it's, it's, that's what's driving it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're, they're looking for anything, anything, um, you know. So that's the society we live in, and I guess until somebody comes up with something different, we're stuck. <laughs> It'll keep going. So, George, um, like I said, we probably keep going. I can probably put a lid on it for now. We'll have you back later um, from the department and our podcast. You know, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for you know everything <laughs> you've done for the Sioux City Fire Department. I'm sure everyone that you know we work with would say the same thing. All the chiefs, Chief Everett. Um, you know, we truly are humbled to have you. And if, oh. and if you weren't around doing Glad it, I don't do know it. if. Uh, yeah, how many of these stories would be around well, and how much stuff we'd be able to talk about uh, and point to at photos. You probably won't that. be able to use half this. <laughs> I said before, Put up the national anthem. Yeah, and what's, what's the hard thing with, with George is there's no, there is no replacing George. You no, know, no, there, you know no, there isn't. Whether it's Sioux City, whether it's our fire department history, whether it's Sioux City history, yeah. this area, George has meant so much and means so much, um, but there is no replacing it. There is nobody oh. waiting in the wings. There is no, there is no, yeah. there is when, when, Someday when, when, when George is gone and looking down on us from above, that's there's I think there's a big part of our history going forward that's gonna get lost because sure. there is no there is no other George. There'll People talk somebody. about that, they'll be like, you know, who who do, who will who yeah. will do your job? You know, yeah. if you nobody ever, there comes well a day where you don't want to do it anymore. They're all smarter than I am. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think doing other things. I, I wonder how that'll evolve. You know, a lot of the other departments they have a they have a paid PR guy or oh, yeah. personnel that that's their yeah. job to take these photos and um, we've been just so lucky to have you. Yeah. Well, Sioux City is trying. The police department is trying to do it now, and uh, <clears throat> they told a couple of them that they want them, they want them to do what I do for you, you guys. But yeah. it's an art, right? It's, it's a commitment. An art. It's a commitment. It's a. You have to have a. Pa it's a passion. It's Absolutely. everything. You know. You got to be driven to it. You got to have sure. all of it. Yeah. How many people sleep? Well, I can tell you a real quick story about how that goes when I got married out in California. <clears throat> we were going to place up in Hammett for a honeymoon. And so her and I are headed to Hammett for the honeymoon. <clears throat> and so we're going up the four spire trucks are going by, passing us. <laughs> and uh, we had made a re uh, reservations at this place. So I took her there and I said, I got a call. Burbank, that's where NBC was, and mm -hmm. I called them, and I said, hey, uh, I'm up here at Hammond, and I said, a lot of forest fire vehicles moving. They said, yeah, can you get to Ryan Field? And I said, yeah, I don't think it's that far from here. And they said, you got any equipment with you? And I said, yeah, I got in the trunk. They said, get over to Ryan Field right away. <clears throat> and they said, we'll get in touch with you. I said, okay. So I said to her, hey, I, I got a quickie, I gotta go over to Ryan Field. And she said, for what? And I said, I don't know. I just talked to Burbank, and they want me to go. Well, 
three days later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was on a downhill slope. <laughs> yeah, that's how that went. That's the story of my life. <laughs> so you got to have passion. Yeah. Anything you do, whatever it is. Either that or be a little deficient sometimes. <laughs> well, a lot of that run around. Well, thanks for All being right. that way, George. <clears throat> Thank you for coming. Yep. Thank you very much, George. Anytime. From, from everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to do it. Perfect. Um, let me know when you need something else. That's we good. will. I'm sure we will. <clears throat> I'll see you at the next fire. That's yeah. right. Yeah. See you. Bye. See you, George. Be careful. <clears throat> All right. I think that wraps it up. Ryan, you want to drop the tones? <laughs> everyone to the new and improved episode of the before the tone Trout podcast i'm your host ben moorhead with me is my co-host ben moorhead ben how you doing hey, hey it's good to be here just got back from la always nice to be back in sioux city awesome thanks for joining me let's welcome our guest guys everyone today our guest i'm really excited about him ben moorhead ben welcome to the show hey thanks for having me today guys just got off tour in miami it's good to be back love the new setup love the new uh love the new host love the new co-host don't think it could be any better